to the Survivor Historians, the greatest podcast in the history of the internet. Uh, once again, I am Mario Lanza. Um, this is uh, Gene's number one fan, Paul Oslison. And this is Jay Fisher, and uh, I really like to uh, shop before rock climbing on a date. <laughs> you know, Jay, in the game of life, you're the winner. That's good. <laughs> and we are here to discuss more of Survivor the Amazon, which is one of the all-time most popular Survivor seasons. It's clearly one of our favorite Survivor seasons. It's one of those seasons that really there are very few people can say anything bad about. It's one of these universally beloved um, mar- uh, moments in Survivor history. Would you guys agree with that? I would agree. Yep. I think, you know, again, we talked about it a little bit on the first podcast. If you haven't listened to it, shame on you. Go back. But uh, uh, it's, 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 it's a cast of characters that holds well over time. And I think Paul mentioned it in the first podcast, and he was exactly right. You know, Jenna and Rob are the only returnees from the Amazon, and they don't even last very far on All-Stars. And so, you know, all of these great characters are just contained in this one season. And when you have a bunch of great characters, uh, the sky is really the limit. And uh, that's kind of what happened with Amazon. Yeah, they have uh, some characters on all ends of the annoying spectrum, so a lot a lot more good ones that we haven't really even talked about too much yet that we'll uh, dive and, into even more. And you shut your mouth about Jean. I like Jean. Well, well, someone can give her some love because she needs it. All right. All right, before we were going to jump right into part two here, we left off, I think we did four episodes last time. Is that correct? We just lost Joanna? We did lose Joanna. All right, yes. so we're going to start on episode five. I have a couple of feedback, a lot, actually a little bit of a feedback, a reader feedback from our uh, part one. Uh, obviously, a lot of people were looking forward to Amazon. A lot of people wrote in, including our old friend Rob Sesternino, who gave us quite a bit of feedback on Amazon. A lot of it, you know, positive. He gave us a nice plug. He said, hey, everybody, you should listen to this podcast. But he wanted to uh, issue a couple of corrections. And I will uh, mention them here. The first thing is we were joking in part one that we thought there must have been an interpreter off camera for Christy and Rob Sesternino had had pointed out to us. He said actually there was no there was no interpreter. So I'll just, you might want to clear that up on the podcast that there was not an interpreter for Christy at any point. Which I will acknowledge, but at the same time, isn't the story that Chill One was Christie's interpreter just way better anyway? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, in truth, that is how we work on the Survivor Historians. The better story tends to work out over the truth. So we're going to go with that one. All right. Uh, the next uh, feedback from Rob Sesternino himself. This is my favorite. That You know, I was taking some digs at Rob saying that, you know, he never gets enough flack for the fact that he and Dave couldn't beat uh, Gene and Joanne in the puzzle. Or was it Gene and Joanne? Yeah. But uh, Rob pointed out, he said, there was no way we were ever going to win that puzzle because of the balance beam put us so far behind. He said, it looked like it was closer than it was on the, on the in the episode. But in truth, when we started that puzzle, they were almost done. So he says, so uh, we could take hits at him, but that that's one he'd like to defend himself. And he, in fact... He wanted to say he would like to call out a challenge right now that he will personally challenge Gene and Joanna to a cha- to a puzzle challenge anytime they want. So we'd like to drop that challenge that's on, on behalf of Rob, that he would like to regain some of his honor here. Uh-oh, and he says he he's, could- he's dissing on my girl, Gene. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so he's issuing the challenge. He's, he, he's calling out Gene and Joanna. I don't know why they're scared. They have not responded yet. But it's basically at this point, it's like Karate Kid 2. And uh, Rob is like uh, Sato yelling for Miyagi, Miyagi, you coward! So that's Rob now at this point. He's calling them out, and he would like an issue a challenge. So that's that's where we'd like to leave this one. Well, they haven't responded to the challenge because the winner of this puzzle off gets a, gets a puzzle idol, and uh, <laughs> Joanna wants no part of that. Yes. 
And surprisingly quiet on this whole front is Dave Johnson. Where is Dave? No one knows. He's disappeared. But yeah, so that's where we stand on this uh, issue right now that Rob would like to regain his honor. And he is calling them out, Gene and Joanna, for a puzzle off to regain his fallen honor. God, just a little bit of Joe Esposito in the background. We've got ourselves a show. (laughs) And again, I think in like uh, my first instinct was Karate Kid, too. But now I'm going to go for Rocky, too, where Apollo's calling out Rocky for being a coward. He won't come to the rematch. So that's the other one here. So, Rob, that's the first time Rob Sesternino has ever been compared to Apollo Creed. Paul, these are movies. Um, they're like television shows, but they play them in special places called theaters. Are we aware of this? If Jeff, if Jeff Probst isn't like on my screen, I don't turn it on. So I don't really know this concept of what you're going with here. They have a lot of these in Germany. So when you get there, you'll, you'll run into them too. But most of them start David Hasselhoff. Okay. Well, it's kind of like finder's fee. I mean, I know that. <laughs> you're the one who saw finder's fee. You're the one. All right, let's see. I'm trying to think of some, a couple more pieces of feedback here. This is a great quote from a, a reader named Charlotte Ducharme who wrote in and said, I don't know why you guys are making fun of Heidi. She wrote, I was always a fan of Heidi. When she talks, it's like watching a toddler run. You know they're going to fall. You just don't know when. <laughs> I think that's a great quote. That's good. Yeah. I, have no, I have nothing in response. That's just, that's just good. <laughs> like a toddler running. And this is a great one. This is if you're f- familiar with the Celebrity Apprentice with Lou Ferrigno. Uh, did you guys watch that with Lou Ferrigno constantly saying that he was giving 110 yes, percent on every course. talent? Yeah. So someone on Sucks named Mister X eight one nine wrote, "I just rewatched episode five of Amazon, and it was pretty unintentionally hilarious foreshadowing because Christy talks about giving 100 percent to the 110 percent to the team." And he said, this sparks a debate. Do all deaf people who go on reality shows plan to give 110% to everything? Or did Chrissy just watch a lot of Lou Ferrigno inspirational speeches when she was growing up? Probably a little bit of both, I'd say. So there you go. See, these are the kind of trivia tidbits you only get from the Survivor historians. All right. And I think that's all the feedback I have I wanted to go into before the podcast, because we have a lot to talk about. We want to jump right into episode five here. So let's get into it. Episode five. Anything to say? Yeah, well, I just want to preface um, going into episode five and six here. You know, we we it's a huge shift in the game that we enter into. But in my opinion, I think in the whole course of Amazon, these two episodes are pretty insignificant. I mean, we have some major things that are going to come out of these next these first two episodes as far as setting up some alliances for the merger, and um, they're a lot of fun. We you know we get a fun interaction with uh, with Jen and Dave coming up here in episode five. But I mean, as a whole, you could cut out these episodes and really not miss the essence of Amazon. I agree. There's there's some neat stuff that's going on right here with the Shauna is trapped situation, which I know we talked about on the last podcast, which I still think is one of the maybe the 10 most interesting thing that's ever happened on Survivor back in a time when people weren't really allowed to quit. I don't really know what the rules were, but obviously we'd never had a quitter. And Shauna clearly wanted out of the game. And I've read her exit interviews and she confirms, yeah, I was as out of the game as you could possibly get. They just wouldn't let her quit. But she was trapped. And I still think that was an interesting scenario that kind of is carrying over into episode five here where she wants to leave, but no one will let her. Yeah, it's it's a it's an early thing, and we you know episodes five and six. I, I think Paul's right. I mean, ultimately they're they're more uh, uh, move pieces episodes as far as or you know setup episodes as far as like a payoff episode. Uh, but we do get Dina talking about the Shauna dilemma, saying, "Oh, she doesn't want to be here. Too bad. We need her." But but really, the the opening of episode five is Jean, and she's pissed. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's great. Paul, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, there's even a scene they cut out and they uh, they show it in the, the recap episode um, a few episodes down the line where she's so mad that she cooks some maggots in the in the manioc and gives it to them because she's so mad at them. But the whole thing is just really dumb. She's just like, you know, she's just really showing herself to be a winner in life about what a poor sport she's being about the whole situation. So good for you, Jean. But come on, you had to laugh at the scene where, where Shauna's whining how she wants to go home and, and we pan to Jean who just turns and gives her this mocking look. Remember that one? Kind of looks like she's puking. It's a really cute look for her. Exactly. Even you must admit that was a funny moment. I might have chuckled at some point, but my like this this podcast just really kind of feeds into like my hatred or love for certain characters, and unfortunately, Jean's taking kind of a, a hard beating, so I can't even like give her that. I do like her quote there when she was like super upset about Joanna going home. She says, "You know, they just voted out the strongest person in the game. Smart. It's like." Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is pretty smart. <laughs> well, I love, I love the like, you know, Gene kind of gets his attitude here, but then it's like Gene's no match for Dina. Dina just does the smackdown to Gene when they're kind of sitting around and stuff, and uh, and and Dina's just kind of trying to talk her down and stuff like that. And um, you know, Gene's like, "Well, I feel like I'm all, you know, I'm over here, and you know, I didn't know what was going on last night." And Dina says, "Well, we had some." personality issues and we want to all feel like you know we are united and stuff and she goes well like i'm not going to go out there anymore because you know like you guys are over here and i go out by myself and then dina just turns and goes okay fine then have at it because i'm sick and tired of the damn thing and um just kind of shuts gene up there <laughs> yeah and gene and gene uh, uh confronts her and says you guys were talking about me and stuff like that they're like no we were talking about christy oh yeah, yeah, yeah dina yeah. with the point <laughs> the points <laughs> i was talking about her i was talking about her and, and then, then kind of awkward just pause. Awkward it's like a pause. And she goes, didn't sound like that. No, I was talking about Christy and the attitude she had early on in the game. Total Dina Smackdown. <laughs> Dina's great. I got I to gotta tell you, Paul, I, have, I really had no opinion on Jean one way or the other. She just was character in Survivor Amazon. But, you know, after talking with you and your hatred for Jean, I actually went back and watched this episode. And Jean's like, you know, getting smacked down by Dina and just being all pissy and stuff like that. And I'm just watching my screen going, fucking Jean. God, fucking Jean. What an attitude. God, I hate Jean. And then I, I really don't. But it was just kind of fun to watch the episode with that attitude. It's way fun. Try it sometime, kids. You guys make me sad. <laughs> Come on, Mario. Why don't you stick up for your girl here? This is her episode. What What are we missing about Gene that's so great? What you're missing, Paul, is that he ranked her number two in his preseason picks. So he's just got to ride that. Or this pony is like kind of dead. like you're like Tina Teresa fetish going on here, kind of the middle aged middle aged flight attendant. I don't think she's a mom though, but oh, she's got to be a mom, right? Is she maybe I didn't think she was on the show. Was she? I don't know. <laughs> well, she didn't give birth on the show. Well, anything, no, I know, I, I know, but she was a mom okay. prior. <laughs> yeah, I guess the thing about too was that we never really got much of a Jean story. It was kind of like it was Jean and Joanna, and then we kind of got more of a kind of crazy things about Joanna that we never really got a sense of who Jean was, which I think is kind of it's easier to kind of harp on her because we don't really know anything about her besides the fact that she likes to get kinky with edible massage oil. <laughs> That's a great observation. The middle-aged female and Mario's all over that. <laughs> When I think about Gene, I think about Hart. I don't know. I'm just trying to make. I'm making shit up at this point. I don't know. Hart? She's kind of a minor character. Hart. You know, if hot. She, I'm sorry, hot. She would say. Well, if she were, if she like would have like maybe fallen down, I could maybe get on Team Gene, but I don't even get that out of it. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll we'll move along. We'll skip. On, we'll have more about Gene later. This is the episode, episode five, with the twist. 
Yeah, but we're the not... one where uh, where the the youngest one from each tribe is sent out for wine and laughter, and where we get the really random subplot where Rob Sesternino hates Dave Johnson for some reason, which will show up at least ten more times in the next five episodes. We'll get we'll get to the twist, but even before the twist, we have this fun. Uh, it's it's uh, the men are doing a, a montage of chopping, and and we have oh, yeah. we have machete etiquette. And yep. uh, Alex whacks himself in the head, and he's mad, and they ice it with a coke. And it looks badass. <laughs> yeah. Lo- looks badass. But I think the the only real thing to come out of this, because this isn't super significant, but I do like uh, they have a confessional with Matt. And Matt's like, uh, to be honest with you, I'm surprised something like this hasn't happened before. I mean, no one out here has got experience with the machete. <laughs> <laughs> most of America, Matthew, most of America. <laughs> what they didn't show is they didn't pan down. And you could see when when he's talking about a machete injuring someone that Matt actually had a boner. That's what they cut out. <laughs> well, uh. well, getting back to you know, they get the the tree mail for this um, for this twist, and they say you know, send your youngest for line and, uh, wine and laughter. And oh, we get a great Jean quote too. Like she kind of wants out of this too. She goes like, <laughs> like don't don't always think that youngest means youngest. And then Dina says, um, are you suggesting that we age differently, like cheese? And <laughs> she says, could be youngest at heart. Young young at heart. Young at heart. Yeah, I can't do it. Remember how much America loved that quote? It could mean youngest at heart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just pushing this. We're gonna get. I'm gonna start this thing that Gene was very popular. <laughs> if, I, if I say it, maybe maybe people won't believe it. But of course, yeah. Jenna. But of course, Jenna interjects and says, "No, it means youngest. I'm the youngest. I'm gonna go, Gene." And uh, on the men's side, hey, hey, sports fans. Booyah! <laughs> Bangarang! Dave, Dave Johnson going out on the reward. Rocket scientist. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. so what, Dave is the youngest and Rob would be the second youngest or something like that? Rob's all pissy because I don't know why Dave gets to go for wine and laughter and yeah, I don't Rob, think Dave has, has my best interest. Yeah, Rob has a great line in there where he says, well, he's like, I wanted to go for wine and laughter, but of course, golden boy Dave like falls face first into good luck, which this kind of comes out of nowhere from us. I guess we, we do get a little bit Rob criticizing Dave early on for the fact that he's going to play this really good game and he's going to, you know, not lie or anything. But it's kind of important that we get this little bit because we kind of see that later on. And um, once we get down to our final nine and we see Dave cuddling up to Heidi and Rob kind of getting jealous and wanting to get him out and stuff. So it kind of starts here, the the Rob not liking Dave. Yeah, it's funny. There were, there's two subplots I noticed on my latest rewatch that there's no no real introduction to them. They just all of a sudden show up and they're a big deal. And one of them is Rob hates Dave. He hates everything about He's got the biggest Dave chip on his shoulder. And the other one you'll get later is Alex hates Matthew. Yeah. And it, it's kind yeah. of you kind of yeah. see them fighting over Shauna a little bit, but there's no introduction to that. Just all of a sudden they're fighting over Shauna. So there's a couple little editing parts in this episode that in this season that they don't really do a good job with and and I think the Alex and Matt one actually I think comes into play for a lot of the season and I mean it's kind of a shame they didn't really get into that one but the the Rob versus Dave one is the one that always kind of jumps out at me too like I don't know why Rob hates Dave so much he just does Big Jeff Probst awkward moment too he starts setting this up well Jenna and Dave kind of paddle into this uh, little island resorty it's just this almost just this little shack kind of out there it's got a little bed area and a shower area and you know they go in and, and jeff starts and he's doing a good job here you know he's saying you know oh you know here in the amazon and the tribes they've got a saying that you know uh the past belongs to the elders you know the the present belongs to the adults but the future belongs to the young ones and so we wanted to have the young ones kind of come out and and uh have a little meeting and then and then he starts getting awkward he's like yeah we got a we, we got we got a bed up here um one bed uh there's there's uh, some food, um, uh, a shower. Uh, 
your casa awaits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeff Probst didn't have his lines down there where, you know, now he'd be like, orange juice, bed, <laughs> shower. <laughs> Boston Rob. <laughs> Boston Lob literally carried his family on his yeah. back as he built this bungalow. <laughs> you get a copy of the BR rules. Each one of you gets a complimentary copy. Right. Well, but then they get in here, and what's what's great is that Jenna, our winner, you know, gets in there and immediately – I mean, they're not even, like, out of their clothes and into their bathrobes and, and chowing down the food yet. And Jenna's just like, all right, so here's the alliance breakdown on the women's track. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I, I got to bring something up here. You know, it's as Survivor history goes, each season is kind of remembered in black and white terms, like, oh, this guy was good, this player was bad, they were awesome, they sucked. But, you know, Dave Johnson kind of gets crapped on for being kind of a minor player in Amazon. But if you watch, he totally outplays Jenna in all of this, this entire scene. He doesn't yes. say anything. He gets all the info out of her. In the next episode, he totally talks Heidi into voting against her best interest and voting off a woman. So, like, Dave makes some really good moves. It's not really his fault that the season doesn't play out perfectly after that. But he actually outplays Jenna very obviously here. I will yeah, say I that, that in a recent interview that I saw with, with Jenna when they were talking about the season, that she said Jenna wanted to defend herself and say that she felt that they acted like she, uh, Dave was, give, was not giving away any information when, in fact, she felt like she had gained just about as much information about his tribe as, as he found out about her tribe. All so right. I'm just sticking up for the girl here. Which which you may would. be there, but what we what we saw on the TV at least was you know Jenna talking about how who she loves and who she hates and yeah. you know who's gonna go next and he's like oh well you know probably Gene and we don't like Gene and stuff like that and then Jenna says what about you the guys and Dave's like well Roger he's yeah. fifty three <laughs> um, yes you know. what what Jenna should have said is oh my gosh my BFF is Gene she and I yeah. are just we are the power <laughs> couple of Jabaru. <clears throat> Yeah, and I know I know a lot of fans like to you know armchair quarterback survivors say oh this player sucked this look, which of course we just did but in truth if you look at a human nature survivors such a game of paranoia and inner thoughts and stuff like Jenna I'm sure was just happy to talk to anybody about survivors she was so excited to tell what's going on and so I mean she's such a big survivor fan so I you can kind of defend her sitting down and immediately spilling her guts to the first sympathetic ear who wants to hear about what her game's been like so I wouldn't really call it her fault but I mean. Clearly, if you watch the episode, they sit down and she literally launches right into it. Well, but I think this this brings up a larger point in general, and that is uh, things that we just as as people who watch the show can comment on and things that the survivors themselves can comment on. Uh, I think that when, when we're looking at the finished product here, when you see the scene, we see Jenna blabbing and we see Dave playing very close to the vest, right? Mm -hmm. Jenna, Paula said that Jenna's come out in an interview saying that Dave probably said as much. Uh, about his tribe uh, that as Jenna did. And you know what? I believe her. I think that probably is what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there are things that are that happen out there on the island that we don't see because we're, we're, we're being told a story with, with what's being shown on the television. And I think that I, who have seen all these seasons, I think I'm just as qualified to talk about uh, the story that is being presented to me on the television as much as Jenna Maraska is. But what Jenna can tell me, and I do not know, is what actually happened out there because yeah. I have no flipping idea. So when Jenna's like, yeah, Dave spilled the beans as much as I did, he probably did. And as we see, Jenna does a little bit better than Dave. So, you know, mm -hmm. all, all, all power to her and we all love Jenna and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, what the story that's being presented is that, you know, Jenna got there and was just so dying to talk to somebody and Dave was, you know, being very coy in this entire uh, uh, experience. 
Now, I have to, to follow up on one thing you said there, that obviously Jenna can say one thing and we can say one thing. But if you look at the parts of the show, they can't edit, they can't fudge. Look at the first pick who Jenna took. Do you remember who the, her first pick was? Takes Alex. Alex, right? Yeah, she's like Alex. Alex. So yeah. you can kind of put the pieces together that Dave didn't flat out say, Oh, my best friends are Roger and Butch. Those are my allies. We're a final three, like Heidi, like Jenna kind of did with Heidi. Like if David said, Oh, I'm so close to Roger and Butch, Jenna would have retaliated for her him taking Heidi by taking one of his. So the fact that she took Alex, who Dave really didn't have anything to do with, it kind of leads you to believe that Dave probably did a little better in the information giving department. Well, right. I think it, I think it's it's pretty um telling about kind of how Jenna played the game. Jenna played the game, I don't want to say recklessly, but kind of without fear in a lot of ways. I mean, she really wasn't that afraid to kind of as we see later on, kind of call people out, get in, you know, kind of agreements with them, kind of maybe follow her heart sometimes more than what was the, you know, best strategic mood. So I think it's pretty telling for the game that Jenna played. But yeah, absolutely but what I can say, and also in defense of Jenna, and I think that's something that is important, and there's evidence, again, in the things you cannot fudge, things that we all can see on there, is that, you know, Jenna is kind of getting this mild negative paint uh, with the storyline, you know, especially in light of, you know, sort of the Jenna and Heidi and Christy kind of uh, uh, interplay there. But I think what can't be denied when you look at all the uh, objective ed- evidence that you see is that everybody out there really liked Jenna. And that's a that's a huge point that I think that, you know, people are always like, oh, I think Jenna got this mild negative edit because, you know, of this, that and the other thing. And, oh, Jenna kind of seems standoffish or, oh, Jenna. No, they love Jenna. Jenna was great and everybody loved her out there. And I think that's an important thing to note. Yeah. The way I would describe Jenna is I think she was very well liked. She was very social. Everyone liked her. Mm -hmm. They kind of were sympathetic towards her. I don't think they necessarily took her serious as a threat or as a player maybe to their own detriment later. So I think that's really what Jen is, that you can be very well-liked. And if you look at all the confessionals, it's Alex, it's Rob, it's Dina, all fighting over power, who's controlling the game. No one really took Jenna seriously, not even her own allies. So, I mean, it's not saying she's a bad player. She's a great player. If you're well-liked and you get to the end and get people to vote for you six to one, you're a great player. But I do think that's what it comes down to. I think people didn't take her seriously until it was too late. And it was the first time that we had a 21-year-old on the show. That was the youngest we'd ever gone for for Mm -hmm. a player on the show, so... Absolutely. But, uh, yep, so they uh, Dave does this rundown. They also talk about, you know, Heidi's breasts. And her ass. And Jenna's ass. sexy ass. You got a sexy ass. What? This thing? Oh, oh, you're so nice. (laughs) They immediately cut to a picture of her scratching her butt, which I always thought was funny. Yep. And then, you know, fun fun shower scenes and stuff like that. But then we got to get to the morning. And the pick. Yeah, so this is the, the pick was in the morning, right? First thing. Right. Yeah, so Jeff comes by, oh, you're going to pick teams. Jenna's like, oh, my God, OMG. And and Dave's like, I've heard good things about Heidi. <laughs> so, like, so, I mean, I, I just really love the way Dave played that whole thing. And if you look, just watch that scene in a vacuum. He comes out of that with his entire alliance. He busts up her alliance. He gets rid of the parts he doesn't need. Dave absolutely plays that perfectly. So you can't really say anything bad about Dave in that whole scene, I don't think. And and Dave, he... and Dave gets Gene. How can he not walk away a winner? Exactly. I mean, that's she's like the new Colleen. You have the new Colleen on your tribe. All right, whatever. <laughs> the thing, though, the, that is interesting and a thing that I think also that that doesn't get going i think it talks about how how good socially jenna is as well and maybe it's just because you know she's young and pretty and and can kind of pull this off it's you know after they do the tribe pick you know basically for those of you who are following along at home jeff comes and he has these little uh 
you know, uh, slats that have everybody's name on it. And basically uh, they have to just shuffle the tribes up and pick uh, a member of the opposite sex from them and then, you know, alternate down on, down on, down on. And uh, they pick new tribes. And so everyone that Dave picked is now the new Tombaki and everyone that Jenna picked is now the new uh, Jabiru. And, uh, you know, so a couple of people have to switch tribes. So Jeff gives uh, Dave and Jenna the new buffs for them. And basically they have to row back to their camps, tell the people that are leaving that they got to leave. And then, you know, they'll switch the tribes. But what's fun is that Dave comes back to Tomaki and he explains, uh, Rob, uh, Matthew and uh, Alex, uh, you guys had to leave. Look, this is what I thought was best for me and what was maybe best for the men and the tribe. Um, I did the picking. I mean, Dave kind of did this whole, I did this and this is what I felt was this and what I felt. This. And you could see Rob's face. I mean, Rob is livid in this entire scene. He's like, you fucking Dave, what are you doing here? You stupid, you know? And, and, you know, everyone just kind of looks a little perturbed as what's going on. Roger just looks nonplussed, but then like Jenna comes back and she's like, all right, we're switching tribes. Um, Heidi and, uh, Christy and, uh, Jean, you guys have to go. It, it's just it's just what happened you know they just we was just they picked you picked we picked you picked i mean she just kind of said it's just what happened i mean she didn't say you know i did what i felt blah blah, blah. she's just like this is what happened and you know to tell you the truth as flippant as an answer it is it's a better answer yeah it's true yeah, and and I will say just one more thing about how you know to to give Jenna some credit there is that she she takes Shauna over Jean to go back to to Jabu with her, <laughs> knowing full, uh, full like full well. Well, it's better for me to take back an ally who is like half an ally right now because she uh, wants to quit the game rather than it is to bring someone back who, depending on the combination of guys and girls, would have flipped over with the guys. That's true. That's a good point. And speaking of coming back with Shauna. This is where Alex shows up and we get the miraculous recovery of Shauna. <laughs> this whole scene is so great the way they edit that. And Dina's the narration music, yeah. throughout is awesome. Yeah, that, that, I, was just, I was just commenting that. I was watching it yesterday. I'm like, I love the music in the scene. And it's all timed with Shauna getting all excited and then Dina just being all cynical about the whole thing. It's just hilarious. It's amazing what a little bit of testosterone can do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Anything else that happens in that scene with Shauna? Shauna sh- or Alex shows up. And Shauna and Alex are basically a couple from the next couple episodes because of this, or the next two episodes anyway. It's good. All right. So, yeah, so we got that's uh, Jabaru. But on Tombaki, there's some interesting stuff I wanted to talk about. This is where uh, when Christy shows up and, uh, you know, Butch and Roger and Dave go out of their way to make Christy feel like she's part of the group. And this is something I wanted to say here that, you know, Roger has absolutely been one of the biggest punching bags in Survivor history. No one ever says anything nice about him. He was the first person in Survivor history to have an episode specifically dedicated to not only his downfall, but how funny his downfall was going to be. And uh, but I have to say that, you know, when Christy comes to Tombaki and the men go out of the way to make her feel like she's welcome and they put the lamp past the lantern around at night, it's not just Butch who's doing that. Roger's doing that, too. And I don't think he ever has gotten really enough credit for that, that that's not Butch being the only one who's nice to nice to her. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think it was it was good. For, that whole scene is, is pretty touching, um, you know, the way that that both Butch and Roger, I think a lot of that comes just from like a fatherly aspect. Whereas at the other tribe, she was with all these women and stuff. And, and even the older women were the most, most nurturing types. I mean, we have someone like when Joanna is a mother on your team, like how nurturing <laughs> is Joanna. So I think that was, that was good for Christy. It was, it was a male figure who was also, you know, more mature and, and handled the situation better than the girls did. Yeah, but I, yeah, yeah. I, Dave, I, Roger isn't a total ass. He can be nice. 
Yeah, I have that written down in my notes, actually. You know, the Butch is, you know, has these things. I mean, he's an educator. You know, he's all about inclusion. I mean, that's uh, the, the Butch attitude doesn't shock me at all. And it's it's very standard. But it's Roger that has the confessional. It says, God, I didn't I didn't know Christy was deaf. I mean, she's she's super capable. I, I didn't even know. I mean, this is great. You know, and it's Roger that says mm-hmm. that the most bigoted uh, guy of this season, you know, that that is literally the old man punching bag, the sexist, you know, uh, male Roger that basically is like, Oh my God, she's great. And it's it, the fact that it's Roger, I think hits the point home even more. And you know, what's funny is watching when I was going through my latest rewatches, you know, all season long, we hear that Roger sucks. He's a mean, he's mean, he's an ass to people. You don't actually see a whole lot of evidence of that happening. It's almost always Dina or Rob or Alex or someone saying it about him, but you don't see a whole lot of evidence of it. And it's, it just kind of jumped out at me when I was watching this last season. Like, I'm not really particularly comfortable with the way they handled Roger in that season. I mean, they really threw him to the wolves, and there isn't a lot of evidence that you ever actually see him doing bad stuff. There's a couple scenes, like the one with him and Alex about the gay rights, which obviously with, I mean, a survivor has a huge gay audience. They don't like that scene, but I mean, that's not an odd uh, stance for someone of Roger's age and, you know, occupation to have. But it's just just interesting how horrible everyone talks about he is, and you don't see a whole lot of actual empirical evidence about it. No, but I think that it, it is evident, and I don't think that it's something that's completely uh, uh, fabricated. No. It's just, you know, I think that Roger, you know, he was older, so he kind of took the role of elder statesman. And, you know, he's used to he's used to barking orders. I mean, I think he's a, at a position in his job where he tells other people what to do. So, you know, he's got an idea for the camp. And, and you know, if Alex has got an idea for camp, Roger's like, I'm older and better than you. My idea is better. Yeah. You know, and I just think that it's it's just more that attitude. And especially for somebody like Alex, who, you know, is is very strong and, you know, very independent willed himself. He's just like, what? So because you're older, you're you're more correct. What's what's the problem here? Yeah. And again, I wouldn't even say that was specific to Roger. I would say almost anybody in those positions, a 50 year old construction foreman and a 33 year old. I mean, almost anybody in Roger's position like him would say that would have that attitude. I agree. I agree as well. But I think that probably the added element that the season started men versus women. Yeah. uh, As it is just kind of added fuel to that fire. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to the Roger episode in a minute. I've never been 100% comfortable with that episode. I think it's very mean-spirited. You know, as, as funny as it is, I, I wrote about it on the Funny 115, and I, I think it's a fun episode. But I always think when I watch that, watch that episode, can you imagine Roger sitting at home watching that with his kids and, like, his wife or, like, grandkids or whatever he had? Like, that was a mean-spirited episode. And we'll get to that in a couple of minutes once we get to that episode. Yeah, that's not one to keep on DVD to show the grandkids. No, it's horrible. Get in a couple of minutes. Awful optimistic of you, Lanza. That's right. I, <laughs> we got an immunity challenge in episode five to get to here. All right. Uh, before we get to the immunity challenge, I got to say there's one scene in episode five that I always I, I regret I didn't put this one on the funny 115. It's really quick and a lot of people don't remember it, but it's the scene where uh, Roger and Butch and uh, and Dave are sitting around talking to Heidi or uh, Christy around the campfire and they're talking together, including her and Christy's like, I can't, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you guys went out of my way. You guys are so much nicer than the women. It's so much better. And they cut to Heidi and Jean, who were both like slack-jawed with their mouth open in shock. It's just the little dichotomy of them cutting to them both with their mouths open. It's really yeah, funny. it's awkward. <laughs> yes. Like, they right. were vicious bitches. They were so mean to me. Some of the worst people I've ever come into contact with cut to Jean yeah. and Heidi. Yeah. Heidi's like, I'm right here. Yeah. All right, so we're getting up to the immunity challenge, and I just have a little note here. I wrote in episode five. I'm right. I wrote, man, the music this season is amazing. It's all this original Brazilian incidental music. Did you guys notice that on your last rewatch? All the music in in Amazon. 
Yeah. Yeah, they put a yeah, lot just... of effort into what they do and have a lot of very unique soundtracks that we haven't seen since. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's little transitional music between scenes, so it's not like the whole scene is based around it. It's just little bridge music. All right, I think we're up to the immunity challenge. Uh, I just wrote a quote here from Dina. Shauna may not be too interested in the chick thing anymore. Shauna might be interested in the Alex thing. And that's that's another great Dina quote. She was one of many from Dina. And kind of sets up like the major like kind of theme of, of the next two episodes is kind of Shauna's rebound, which I mean, Shauna <laughs> yes. gets quite a, a quite a story for someone who gets voted off, you know, in episode six. So, yep, absolutely. All right. Immunity challenge. This is the one where they have to paddle around the island and grab the flags, right? Yeah, they have to do the abortion. Kind of a weird one. They've never, I mean, it's, it was kind of a weird con, like, way to throw in, like, it's like they kind of had some extra stuff flying around and, um, (laughs) but, which is kind of weird because they've, there was men versus women up to this point. So they kind of had to make sure the challenges were pretty fair as far as not making something too physical. Um, and this is the best they came up with for their first immunity challenge, but whatever. Yeah, it's very forgettable. Even when I was watching it, I'm like, I don't even remember this challenge. That's how, how memorable it was. Although, I have to point out, that uh, you know, it's one of the dumb and dumber. Just when I thought you couldn't do anything more dumb, you totally redeem yourself. Rob does the word search, and he is number one. He wins the word search. He even beats Heidi. So there you go. Wow. Rob has totally redeemed himself in the puzzle challenge by this point. Well, it, it also shows you, you know, in, in more modern Survivor, you, you know, the challenges get really stale. I mean, you can really cookie cutter a, a Survivor challenge these days. It's really like, you know, do something super physical and then you get either something that you need to solve a puzzle with or you get stuff that you need to, you know, do some sort of a, a parlor tr- game, carnival game kind of thing, ring toss or mm-hmm. throwing something at something or or bag toss or something like that. But as you can see, they finish with something that's very, you know, that can kind of lead to something climactic, which is, you know, putting a puzzle together or, you know, kind of doing this physical thing at the end. Whereas this challenge, they have this word search at the beginning, which isn't great television. The fact that we're watching them try to, you know, circle words embedded in a large word search. And then once they get all the word search, they have to get into a a boat (laughs) and paddle around and pick up flags. And then literally the end of the challenge is they have to row to shore and put the flags in a box. I mean, there's no there's no thing at the end. Like Jabiru got a lead. They paddled around, got the flags and they got to the end. Jeff's like, all right, you're here. You win. You know, and it's like yeah. there's no build up at the end. It's just literally like Jabaru got a lead, then Jabaru just went around and got the flags, and that was it. I mean, it was over ten minutes in, but Yep. Well what was funny is you know, the minute that, that Jabaru crossed the finish line, Heidi knew instantly that Tombaki had lost immunity. Instantly. You know, I was kind of counting. I was just I was like trying to work in like a, a Heidi knew instantly thing to this challenge, but you beat me to it. Good work. I've topped you once again, Paul. All right, so Tomiki's going to Tribal Council. This is the one where it's going to be three men versus three women, and, and it's got this great scene where Dave pulls Heidi across and says, I think you should vote for one of the women. And this is one of the greatest scenes where, where Heidi's like, well, if you were me, what would you do? And Dave's like, I'd come with us. I'm like, well, what do you think he's going to say, Heidi? <laughs> Well, I think he pulled on the right cards because Heidi and Jenna clearly didn't like Gene and they wanted Gene out. And that was one of the questions Dave asked at the uh, at the thing with Jenna. He said, who would you vote out next? And Jenna said, probably Gene. And Jenna said, I really love Heidi. So Dave knew that Jenna and Heidi were on the same page and they wanted Gene out. So, I mean, Dave picked his targets really, really strategically here. And he just went to Heidi and said, yeah, let's get Gene out. I mean, fucking Gene. Right. Am I right? <laughs> Absolutely. You are right. Yeah, Two second time again. I got to point this out. The second time in one episode that Dave has talked one of the women into doing something that's clearly in, against her best interests. So let's let's give Dave a little credit and in some of his uh, intelligence here. 
Uh, hey, sports fans. Good job, Dave. <laughs> Booyah. All right, so this is where, yeah, so Heidi's trapped. This is where she's in a rock and a hard stone. She's between well, a rock and a hard stone. I wrote that down. <laughs> Damn you for beating me to that. <laughs> and then Heidi turns the, the swing vote, and she votes out G-E-N-E, Gene. Gene. Well, can we first say that it's just great, like, showing, like, the men's, you know, the men strategizing. I mean, the only thing we get is, is uh, Dave trying to, to flip her, but then we get the girl strategy, this elaborate and, like, awkward uh, drawing the the shortest stick. Yeah. Um, and they don't even the know which one the shortest and, like, stick was. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> they have her eyes closed, and that's like, they take it way too seriously, this uh, drawing the shortest stick thing. And my favorite is where they both grab, they all grab sticks, and there's this awkward pause, and then Heidi's like, I can't even tell which one's shorter. Like, they don't even know which one was the shorter stick. <laughs> well, then I love that Trevor cuts the two. Here's another, like, effing G moment is that, like, you know, they're, they're talking about what are we basing your vote on here? You know, um, um, alliances or, or what I can't remember exactly what the wording of it is. And then just because um, um, one of the guys that did some better comment and Gene's thing is, Gene, how are you uh, basing your vote? Um, how does she say it? She says, Weakest like, link. Weakest link and alliance. And then he's like, and they're, <laughs> and they're both the same for you? Mm-hmm. You drew a fucking stick. <laughs> that... Would you lay off, Gene? Good Lord. <laughs> She's not in this show for very much longer. I need to get these out. What, did she kill your puppy? What did she do? <laughs> but seriously... <laughs> <laughs> she acts like she's just like holier than thou, like player of the game, and yet she's gonna lie right at Tribal Council and say that she's voting for weakest link and alliance because she drew a, a stick. This is great. Did you not hear her final words? In the game of life, she's the winner, Paul. Yeah, you she's the winner. Motherfucker. Hey, if you sick any, motherfucker. If there's any like survivor out there that you could say like like it's okay that he or she didn't win the game because look how good they're doing in real life, okay? There are countless survivors you could say that to. You could say that about Roger. Like, Roger, no, I'm sorry, not Roger. Well, yeah, he's good too, but I'm saying Roger from from Australia. You know, in the game of life, he has won the game of life. Look how happy he is and stuff. But Gene, of all people, you're going to say, oh, Gene, yeah, you're really kicking ass in life too, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, Gene, if you're listening to this, Gene, I'm, I'm sticking up for him, doing the best I can. Also, Paul is adopted, so he is not the winner in the game of life. Gene, Gene, you should just turn, you should, you should not be listening to this anymore, Gene. Oh, uh, you push Paul's button and he just wins. That was fantastic. That was Montana rage. It was. I, I have nothing more to. Okay, I have one last note on Gene. We have oh, no, oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, no more, no more shit to say about Gene. You don't think she was responsible for 9-11 or anything, Paul? <laughs> cool. I'm done. I've said all my right. piece. All right. I would like to point out, I'm going to trump all your arguments, that in her final words, do you remember Jean's final words? She says she works hard and she plays hard, <laughs> just like Zoe. She is the Zoe like reincarnation. She's like the Zoe of this season, and since you love Zoe, you must love Jean. No, Zoe is, is, is a constellation. Zoe amazes me. Jean does not. I mean, ever since I saw Jean, I just I didn't really dig her. You I know, didn't really dig her eyes. Didn't her dig her eyes. Whole presentation. Get me some lobster. <laughs> Love that we can bring Zoe back into this. That's right. <laughs> All right, so we finish off with Jean winning the game of life and working hard and playing hard. I think it was uh, it was a George Hans in POS who said, well, "Who do you think it's mentioned the most in the Survivor Historians podcast?" And I was like, "No one will ever top Zoe. We'll always go back to Zoe." 
Yeah, I should say Zoe ten times here just to stack the vote a little bit in her favor. <laughs> she doesn't need it. We're all good. All right. All right. So we're done with Jean. Thank God. So Paul will shut up about it. And now we head into episode six, which um, I never saw episode, the second half of episode six until years and years after it aired. Do you remember why? Because Jean burned down your house? No, that was the night that we uh, <laughs> that we uh, invaded Iraq. And so halfway through oh. the episode, at least on the um, mountain and the Pacific um, um, time zones, it cut it cut it cut off halfway uh, halfway through um, the presentation. What happened with you, Mario? Did you watch it? How did you see it? I'm a different time zone than you, I guess. I don't know. Somehow, I don't think in California that they really care about world news. <laughs> well, yeah, now that, that makes me wonder because I think, oh, I guess maybe actually maybe maybe what happened was it that CBS News interrupted it, and then by the time. It was over. They aired it for you or something. I don't know, but like I remember, and at, the, at this time you couldn't watch episodes online or anything. There was really nowhere to go for it. And but the thing that pissed me off the most about it is I had my like my best friend at the time. He was a kind of kind of a Survivor fan. Like I pretty much made him watch the show. But by Amazon, he really wasn't watching it every week and kind of got annoyed if I made him watch it. But um, like so that was like that was Thursday night and stuff. And then Monday morning in school, he's like, "Oh, did you see Survivor last night?" I'm like, I'm like, it wasn't on last night. It was Sunday. They're like, yeah, they they re-aired the episode from Thursday night. Oh. I'm like, Ed, you watched it. It didn't say anything. You live five houses from me. He's like, oh, I just <laughs> figured you would have been watching it. I was so pissed off that I did not see the second half of that episode. It took years until the I was finally able to watch it when it finally aired um, on the Outdoor Life Network. Many years later, I could finally see the rest of that episode. And so what uh, what uh, what ended up happening is my mom had to go online and go to the CBS page and read the little recap that CBS would provide. Um, just a little like by you know, just a little blow by blow what happened in the episode. And that's how I got to find out that Shauna got voted out. All right. Tales of Montana. <laughs> riveting. On- riveting. I know. <laughs> I was on the East Coast, so I just got to watch the episode. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, episode six. This is actually one of my favorite episodes of the season, even though it has been deemed kind of, you know, forgettable and unimportant. It really is in the long run. But I, I love the. Uh, I'm trying to think of the proper word, the justice, social justice of the whole thing, where Shauna makes her miraculous recovery. She wants to stay in the game, and then they immediately vote her out, which I, I enjoyed the dark humor in that. There, there's, there's good, there's good zingers all the way through here. So even though it's a, it's not a significant episode as far as a, a level of importance, there's some real fun stuff in here. Um, you know, in, in, and I think even started, you start off the episode where, uh, they leave and Dave kind of gives us the, well, Gene was next to go in the Alliance. So that's why we voted her out. And, you know, I'm, I think that the girls made a good choice going with us. And then all the dudes just leave to go fishing and yeah. Heidi's like, what the fuck? Yeah. We're a team. We're all five now. You girls stay here and cook and we'll go out through the important stuff. It's like, wait a minute. And you know, usually, usually we have Dina for for you know women and women women's injustice kind of here in the Amazon. But Dina's not on this tribe. But I mean, it's Heidi, and Heidi just looks over Christy like, "What in the actual holy hell just <laughs> happened?" That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yes. So I think I think at this point we start with Shauna and Alex are basically a couple. Are they? They're kind of referring to him as a couple by this point. And are they? Were they really the first boyfriend girlfriend and survivor? I'm trying to think here. I know. Boston Rob and Sarah would have been a good argument. Was there another one before Shauna and Alex that was really seen as a couple by everybody else? 
Colby Jerry. <laughs> they wish. Or Jerry wished, huh? <laughs> Jerry wishes, yeah. Look. Col- Colby and his yeah, mom. Yeah, but it really was kind Look. of one of the first times that we had. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess Sarah and Robbie had the little argument, too. But the fact that they both kind of just were very open about the fact, like, yeah, we're just flirting. We're having fun. And then they showed Jenna talking about how I feel like, you know, I'm the tag along that went along to the movie with you guys. Yeah, I like Jenna as the friend who's not hot enough to get the guy. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> wait, hold hold on. So, you know, you're saying, oh, Alex and Shauna are a couple, but and Colby and Jerry aren't a couple, and Rob and Sarah were kind of a couple. We had sexy biting in season five, people. <laughs> oh, that was the, sorry, that was survivor couple of the decade. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that, but yes, it's and a good that, point. I, forgot, a very, I forgot that's, that's done. I'm dropping my mic. That's how I do. See ya. <laughs> They had a much better fairy tale uh, uh, ending to their uh, survivor relationship, even better than uh, Boston Robin and Amber, I'd say. <laughs> Who, Big Ted and Gandhi had a better yeah. fairy tale ending? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Blackbeard was technically a fairy tale, wasn't it? That had a bad ending. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Sure, but yeah Bluebeard, you crack Bluebeard. every damn day. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we've had Zoe callbacks and Thailand callbacks. I love it. Yeah, no, but this is this is. I mean, they are. This is as blatant as it can get. I mean, you know, this isn't Rob and Amber making out in All Stars, but I mean, they're you know cuddling up, holding hands. I mean, this is this is super uh, obvious stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it makes Shauna happy. But I mean, it's if you look at the big picture, it is why Shauna gets voted out later for all of a sudden being too powerful. Which is, I love the irony of that. But we'll get to that in a minute. So I think right here we have the reward challenge, which is basically the lumberjack contest where they're spinning the log. Yeah, the log roll. And I'm trying yeah. to think. Anything happened in that? It's just reward for spices, fruit basket, and then Christy Tomaki kicks, wins. Cri- yeah. Christy kicks uh, Heidi's ass, which uh, at the it's time. Jenna. Like, or it's Jenna. Jenna. No, Jenna's ass. Yeah, yeah. Heidi sucks, though, too, right? Heidi keeps falling off. Yes, correct. Yes. Right, but Christy it's beats uh, them all. Christy beats yeah. So, I mean, at the, when you're watching that show, especially the first time in air, and you're really supposed to be on Team Christy, that's like a fun moment to watch to see Christy beat the mean girls. Yeah, Christy has a great episode. She's got a couple moments later in this episode, too. So this is really, you know, as much as we said in part one of the podcast that Christy was kind of a problem child for some of the season, she really is kind of the heroic figure in this episode alone. She has some really great moments. I'd like to give her her due in this one. Yes. Yeah, they have a log roll, and Christy, you know, beats Jenna, which, you know, yay for Christy, but also you're beating Jenna, who's probably, you know... Uh, not giving it her thing, but there's a couple good zingers after this. I mean, right after the reward challenge, the reward challenge was for what spices and whatnot, I think. Um, and yeah, a bowl, fruit, bowl, fruit, basket. Fruit, fruit basket and some spices, but you know, afterwards, you know, uh, Jabiru goes back to their camp and they've lost. And you know, Alex is kind of like, Oh, fruit would have been nice, but you know, blah blah. And you know, the, then they're gonna have a, a bath in the bathing river, you know, as kind of a uh, you know, we don't care, man, we lost a challenge, but we're still cool. And then, you know, everyone's bathing and this is women bathing the men and, you know, Shauna and and Alex, you know, getting a little more together. Matthew getting some some loofahing and stuff like that. And what I love about it is this is Dina. Dina has a killer episode here. I mean, <laughs> she's just observing all over the place. And Dina's like, I'm seeing what's going on here. Who's playing? Who's not playing? I mean, Dina is coming off like a shark in this. And it's great. Yeah, in fact, what's interesting is if you watch the season, again, like episode six is kind of forgettable. But you can make the argument that the reason Jenna comes back or even the women in general come back to dominate this season is because of this episode right here. Like everything's been fine. The men are kind of outwitting the girls. Dave is talking the women into doing stuff that's against their best interest. But then they have their first communal bath and the men just start drooling and, and fawning over the girls. And all of a sudden, Jenna realizes 
you know what? I'm the best player out here. These guys are going to do anything I say. And all of a sudden, you'll notice Rob and Alex kind of switch their game a little bit. And all of a sudden, they want to team up with the girls. So it's it's you could make the argument this is kind of where the season does the turn right here. Yeah, I agree. Because we even we they tell us that Tom Bakey, like, okay, Heidi switches over, but then things go back to the way they are. And that's a really clear indication why you know, Butch, Roger, and Dave's games don't pan out for them. I mean, granted, none, none of the men win, but that's the reason why they go down so early is because of the fact that they weren't able to really capitalize and mix with the women as as the other guys were really willing to do. Yeah, I never saw a scene with Roger and Heidi bathing together. Although we <laughs> wish we would have. We wish we were Jean, maybe Jean bathing with somebody. Nope, she's <sighs> gone. We will not say her name anymore. <laughs> But, you know, even though we've got Shauna and Jenna using their women wildly charms and Rob has the great confessional where, you know, he's looking at the camera going, you know, I just took a bath in the Amazon with a swimsuit model. I would I, like I would to like to repeat. I just had a bath <laughs> in the swimsuit model. <laughs> yeah. But 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 the thing is, is that you're right. You know, Jenna and Shauna are using their womanly charms and the men are like, oh, women, blah, blah, blah. But who are the two people that really come together in this in the in this it's, after the scene and start talking and really solidifying a cross uh, gender alliance. Yep. Rob and Dina, one of my all time favorite alliances. Yep. It's Dina and and Rob. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the things that I love to point out to people about the kind of survivor history. And this is, you know, getting away from joking, but talking about some actual content on this podcast. But uh, one of the things that Rob Sesternino did that's so important and he never gets enough credit for this. So many people just think he's some guy who does a podcast, some guy who's entertaining. He, I've always said he's more influential to the game for any more than anybody, maybe aside, even more than Richard Hatch. But what Rob started doing in this season is he makes alliances with people you wouldn't think he would make alliances with. And that was such a huge change at the time because no one did that. Prior to Amazon, you'd kind of align with people who you had common interests with. Like Brian Heideck, he was buddies with Clay and Ted. They'd be in alliance. Or like uh, Richard and Rudy, they're both military. Richard liked him because they, they were both were military and they were honorable. They'd follow the to-do with his promises, stuff like that. But this one, Rob and Dina have absolutely nothing in common other than they're both kind of on the outs of their alliances and they need help. And they both find each other. And it's a huge moment in Survivor history where you start aligning with people who aren't just your friends, but just someone that can help you. Yeah, no, yes. I completely agree. I mean, we saw like the closest that we ever saw to that was was the power struggle that happens in Marquesas when we see, you know, Pascal and Aaliyah teaming up with Sean and Vesepa, people who they are not meant to, to be with. But we even see <laughs> that that doesn't pay off in the end because it ends up they really kind of go at each other at the end there, yeah. uh, which I mean, I mean, Rob ends up turning on Dina. But the difference there is that, you know, I mean, in both situations, the players were starting to figure out that. You know, you should make alliances or change your alliances based on what's best for both of you in the game. And Rob really mm-hmm. plays that to the T, and we'll see him do it multiple times in the season. What Rob brings that, yeah, you can flip and change sides, and guess what? You can do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, we'll get to this later in the season, how close Rob came to winning. I don't necessarily know he came that close to winning. Some will argue that he should have. I don't know. But yeah, it's just a very proactive way of playing Survivor that had really never been done before. And like Paul said, it happened with uh, Pappy and and Nalia and Sean and Vesepia. But I could be, you can make the argument that that really wasn't them bonding together out of common need. That was almost as much of Pascal and Nalia being pissed that they voted off Gabriel, who was the heart of the tribe, and they just kind of wanted to get back at them for voting off the heart of the team. So, I mean, so who knows? But this one, there's no revenge involved. There's no hurt feelings. Rob and Dean are just at the bottom of their totem poles. They need help. And Rob has a great 
great confessional and you don't, you don't have to say much because it explains it all. He says, and then I found Dina and it's perfect. They just two little stars crossing the night that had the same, you know, interest at that time. And they teamed up and this was an absolute first in survivor history. What Rob and Dina did and what Rob will do more hands. So, so Rob should get the credit. He should get the credit for it more than anything else. I mean, Richard Hatch in, in, in the first survivor did talk about, you know, his alliance and other things. And he did talk about using people as pieces to, you know, be voted off at times. So, you know, Richard Hatch was using uh, the people in the game and talking to them like they were pieces on a board, but really he's just talking about them sacrificing themselves uh, while Richard makes to the end. Whereas Rob is, you know, talking this real interactive proactive game, like you said. So I think the best analogy is, is that Richard taught us how to play survivor checkers. Mm-hmm. But Rob taught us how to play Survivor Chess. I mean, at this point, it is a it is a much more uh, interactive and proactive game. You know, with the you find people who are convenient for you, and you know, and you can go kind of this way. I mean, it's a really, really important step. So, all props there. Yep. And the way I always described it is bottom feeding, and it's funny because I think I've heard Rob describe it in an interview the same way. We kind of picked up on the same terminology, but it's the same type of thing. Like if you're at the bottom. You find someone else is at the bottom, and you guys just team up. And then if you get put on the bottom again later, you find someone new. Mm-hmm. And this is, that's the thing. You find people that have no power. You give them power, and they're loyal to you all of a sudden. And it's a really interesting way of playing Survivor, and it cannot be overstated enough how different this was at the time. But by the same token, we go back to the victory at Tombaki, and Heidi is saying that you know they're, she's proud of the team because you know it's a new team, so it's good. You know They're just as new as the other team. Yeah, we team, we team. But, you know. Very, very good. Uh, yeah, I got to point out, there's a great scene here. This is the one out of everything in my notes for this episode, the thing I'm, I wanted to talk about the most. One of my top 10 favorite Survivor scenes ever, and this one will always bring a tear to my eye, or at least make my eyes water a little bit. The one where, where Butch pulls Christy aside and says, you know, one of the five most defining moments in my life was what we saw from you today at the challenge, Christy, where, where you realize we vote, we voted you out or we kept you on the team, not out of, you know, sympathy, but because of abilities, you have abilities that you give to the team and the smile on your face when you figured that out and you won that challenge today. And he said, that's one of the most touching things I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, Christy, you don't have a handicap. And I always love that scene. And I just watched it the other day. And I'm like, that is an amazing scene. And it's absolutely one of the most touching moments I've ever seen on Survivor. And it never gets enough credit. Right, but the cynical person in me says this. I, I totally love it. It's a great scene, and Butch is fantastic. You know me. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Butch fan. So, I mean, you know, Butch pulling out all the stops. It's all great. But I love it is that Christy has a confessional afterwards. Just is very heartfelt. And she's like, yeah, that made me feel so good. You know, that's what I take my whole life to struggle for, you know, is that, you know, this is who I am, and I can deal with this, and there is nothing wrong with me. And in my head, I'm like, no, well, Christy, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> but it's it's it has nothing to do with your hearing. You're just a Looney Tune. <laughs> Make a good you point, know, Jay. My story, yeah, my story was so much better before Jay's little asterisk at the end. <laughs> There's nothing yes. wrong with me. It's like, yeah, yeah, Chrissy, there is. You're weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll give you that one. But let, let the record state that I, I was totally serious when I said I love that scene. That was one of my all-time favorite Survivor moments and, and in a completely non-cynical way. Yeah, but in, and in a non-cynical way, I mean, the, the question was, you know, can, can, can a deaf person, you know, function on Survivor? And, I mean, the, Christy has proven, you know, at least for Christy, yes, you can. You know, I mean, there's, there, there's very little steps lost in, in those sorts of things. I mean, Christy's arc in this game is le- less to do with her handicap and more to do with the fact that Christy is, uh, you know, just a weird dude. <laughs> dude. <laughs> oh, I'm from California. We're all dudes. Don't worry all about right. it. 
When I think of Christy, I think giving 110%. <laughs> all right. So we got Christy. We got uh, all that. And now we got another important subplot that will become very important to the season where Rob has decided he wants to keep Matt around. Up to this point in the season, Matt has annoyed him to no end, but he realizes, you know what? I need Matt because Matt catches fish and Matt will do anything I say. So he's like, so I can put up with this clown for a while. I'll just kind of string him along and pretend I'm his friend. And now that Rob has a little power with Dina, he all of a sudden has a little alliance brewing here. He's got Rob and Dina. He got kind of Matt as a third. And all of a sudden, he's becoming the most powerful player in this game. This is like this is where like the episode ends in my mind because then we uh you know we invaded a Middle Eastern country but um yeah no it's a very very important setup there they have that and that's and I think that moment for me is even stuck out for for me even more because that's kind of like where my mental like kind of block ends on the episode it's almost like I view episode six as two separate episodes and and they kind of pan out at the end of that scene there where he has all this fish caught on the stick and just say okay well he'll feed us till we have to get rid of him but yeah very key scene there yeah Matt starts to get a really interesting little edit here where. He's being portrayed as a clueless idiot because every single confessional, someone's talking about what a moron he is. Except if you listen to his words, he's kind of getting this underdog vibe, like they're going to forget about me. I'm going to be here for a while. So Matt has a really interesting edit that we'll talk about more when he gets to the end and why it was kind of so surprising that he lost. I, I really thought he was going to win, but I would chalk that up to us not really understanding Survivor edits back then. That the seeds are there when you look at it at retrospe- uh, like in a retrospective eyes. I mean, I've said it before. Amazon is a really weird episode because if you just kind of go into it straight and you just look at it straight, mm-hmm. you know, you re- you can see it the way we saw it uh, when it originally aired. But I think that more than anything else, it really holds up well on a rewatch. But it doesn't hold up well originally. You have yeah. all this additional information. It's a completely different season, which I think makes makes it hold up better on a rewatch just because you kind of have that new angle. You can look at it. But I think people who came later to the game, you know, came during the Russell era or just later on and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's not like they can't they can't go back and appreciate Amazon. I, I, I urge everybody to go back and watch Amazon and appreciate just a beautiful Survivor season. But they're going to see it a lot differently, and they're not going to see it that original way. And mm-hmm. that does, it doesn't make it worse. It just is one of those things where, you know, we kind of did like Matthew at this point. Like, yeah, he was kind of clueless, but, you know, we, we didn't know all this other thing and his fate going in. But if, when you do, it just is really different, these scenes. You know, these scenes just are, you know, ring way, way different now. All right. I, I was just noticing when I was going through my notes here on this episode, where Paul said when he was originally aired, he missed the second half of this episode. So you missed the Shauna dating game? That yes, breaks my heart. Yes. You that's m- kind of like something that's not that. I mean, I've seen it a couple of times now, but it really was not that ingrained into my. Uh into my brain the shauna dating scene is fantastic it's great yeah it's kind of a a nice treat to get later on because kind of what i had gathered from the episode i knew there was this you know a scene where dina gets hit in the head with fish and then (laughs) or whatever that was a huge chunk of meat and then i knew that shauna got ordered off and that's pretty much it so the dating game was a very new thing that i uh, had to experience about survivor the amazon yeah, one of my favorite things in Survivor are the character scenes, the ones that really don't have anything to do with drama or uh, strategy. It's just people sitting around the camp and interacting. And this dating scene is 100% just character scenes. It's just all of a sudden, Shauna is the most popular. She's the belle of the ball, the most popular girl on, on Jabaru. And you can just see in the scene, all these guys are fawning for attention, which cracks me up because Jenna's off to the side, who is you know, arguably just as hot or hotter, but no one even pays her half a minute of attention. <laughs> like oh how are we gonna score with shauna and shauna loves the attention and she's basking in it and rob of course pulls out this amazing christmas date or it's winter in in new york and stuff and and this is where you see this whole scene and it's just a character scene and then it immediately cuts to dina saying 
you know, Shauna's getting a little powerful for her own good. And then she notices that Shauna's got Alex. She's got Matt vying for her attention. And Dina's like, you know, anybody who gets together exclusively against all others is a threat to me. So Dina is doing exactly what Rob is doing, saying, just because we're an alliance now doesn't mean we have to stay in one. All of a sudden, Shauna's gotten way too powerful for her own good because of these boys vying for her attention. So Dina, of course, I mean, she I don't think she gets enough credit in Survivor history for doing the same thing that Rob does, but she really is. She and Rob are peas in a pod. They're doing the same type of gameplay here. Absolutely. Um, I do love the scene, and, I, you know, me being me, of course, I'm just listening to the actual dates. We don't hear Matt's, which I think is really sad in the long run, you know, because it's 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 a it's it's inferred from from Shauna just saying, Mateo, I want to hear your date, too. You know, yeah. and so the three the three men, Rob and Alex and, and, and Matt, all presumably, you know, presented Shauna with what they would uh, how they would would have a date day with her. We don't mm-hmm. hear Matt's. We hear partial partial Alex's and we hear partial Rob's. And I just Alex's is really funny because, you know, at this point, Alex really could just say, well, I'm going to show up at your door and I'm going to be Alex <laughs> yeah. as opposed to Matt or Rob. And, you know, she's like, okay, you win. But, uh, you know, he kind of gives this date and, you know, he starts out, he says, well, Shauna says she likes to shop. So I'll come kind of early morning and then you, do, you can get your shopping in. And then, uh, and then I was thinking rock climbing, uh, with a picnic lunch afterwards. And it's like, that's all cool stuff, right? For outdoorsy types. Like, yeah, okay. Shopping. Shauna likes shopping. Okay. Rock climbing. This sounds like something Shauna would probably like to do in a picnic lunch. There's nothing invariably wrong with those three things, but it's like, Hey, you know what you want to do? Let's go to the mall and freaking go to banana Republic for an hour and a half. And then, uh, and then we're immediately going to go rock climbing. And then you can have lunch afterwards. Once you get to the top, I'm just sitting there going like, this sucks. This sounds really <laughs> shitty. And you know, it's just like, you know, I can just imagine, you know, just some dude sitting there with, you know, some hot chick just saying, oh, well, you know, date me. And he's like, well, uh, 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 well, I'll give you money. And then, uh, and then we'll, oh, skydiving's cool, right? You like that? That's cool. Okay, we'll do that. And then uh, we'll, we'll fly to Paris. That, would you, he's just naming things. And then Rob tells the whole story about, you know, it's a winter time in New York City. I pick you up. You know, we'll go uh, skating in, in uh, Rockefeller Center. We'll get matinee tickets on Broadway. And it was just like, he just yeah. dusted everybody. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, of course, Rob's going to win because he's the writer. He's the creative one. But Absolutely. Like, it's funny. If you think about this in real life, how little chance Rob would ever have of winning that date off against Alex. <laughs> like, right. Rob's Rob's date, Rob could name everything at the very end. He used to say, and then at 11 o'clock, I'll drive you over to Alex's house so you can make out with him. <laughs> Well, and but Matthew was at a very he was at a big disadvantage being in DC. Didn't have the same resources that. It's um, <laughs> like another example being, of like Matthew taking things too seriously. Yeah, not being a human. Yeah. <laughs> He's at a disadvantage. I did. I did like the at the end of the scene though when Sean is just like Robasu. That is the best date I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, if I so wasn't banging Alex right now, I totally would have done that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, can, can I have your date with yeah. Alex? <laughs> exactly. Let's see the tall triathlete who I'm already dating, or the computer programmer who lives at home with parents who's twenty or ten years younger. Let's see. All right, now, so. now, now I think Rob C has done very well in life, so you know, let's cut the kids some slack. Oh, I'm making fun of twelve year old twelve uh, Rob from twelve years ago. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah, now he's a total player. Send all hate mail to Mario. All right. Oh, please don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then, uh, oh, yeah, I just want to mention that this is where that whole thing with Matt and Alex fighting over Shauna subplot shows up, where there's no introduction for it. All of a sudden, it's just there. Yeah, Matt yeah. Matt does have a shine on Shauna. Yeah, but you never see Matt doing anything with Shauna up to this point. Alex is just like, yeah, Matt's trying to move in on Shauna, but we've never actually seen it. So it's just one of those 
the editors kind of fumbled that and threw it together. It's it, it's a kind of a, like I said, an editing fart. It didn't really put much effort into that storyline. All right, so here we go. This is the famous immunity challenge that makes my wife sick every time she watches it. The gnawing the meat off the bone. It's pretty great. It is, and I'm fine. So I'm sad that you missed it for eight years. Yeah, I know. I uh, had to trust your. Uh... Actually, I think. I think after you came out with the funny 115, the first time, it wasn't too long after that that I, I ended up seeing it. But the first time I saw it was on the funny 115, actually. Yeah, and unfortunately, I couldn't do it justice because I didn't have any animated uh, GIF files back then. So yeah. all I could do were still pictures. But yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite challenges. It's so perfect for the Amazon. I mean, this is back when they really put a lot of effort and in thinking into some of these challenges to make them theme-based. Yeah. Like, what is more Amazon-based than piranhas swarming after meat? <laughs> Yeah, it was. It, it's super appropriate, and then they got this meat that they sauced up on the outside. I mean, you know, bonus points all around. It was a fantastic scene. And it ends, of course, with Dina being clubbed in the head. Also good. Also good, absolutely. Everyone likes slapstick. You know, even, it, G, even Gene. <laughs> fucking Gene. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Gene. But, you know, then they've got all these fun things in there where, like, you know... It, piece of meat's like stuck in you know butch's teeth or, or roger's teeth or whoever and then you know the other one is like getting in there to get it out and you know people are using their heads and stuff to steady the meat so that other people could tear <laughs> parts out i mean it's ridiculous it's fantastic but you know these people wanted to win and you're seeing them like really attacking this absolutely and paul's only seen it like twice quite well probably at least five times <laughs> but yes all right. So Tombaki wins that one. And uh, this is where we're about to lose Shauna. This is, this is, uh, they come back to, to Jabaru. Everyone thinks they're going to vote out Matt because he's the weird outcast. And Rob's like, I'm not losing Matt. I spent a lot of time dealing with this clown. I'm going to keep him. So Rob and Dina decide they're going to blindside Shauna, which is just, if you like dark comedy, this is about as funny as an episode gets with <laughs> Shauna with her miraculous recovery, her happiness, her joy with life, her new boyfriend she loves above all else, and then she gets blindsided by her allies. But what this ep- what this does really is it kind of shows to me because I know and I know you're going to make this argument later, Mario, but it's you know people talk about you know kind of the big strategic players of Survivor the Amazon, and clearly Rob C is mentioned, and Dina gets a mention, and I think people really mention Alex and you know like Alex is there with Rob C and Dina. It's like yeah, Alex was a big player. I'm not saying Alex wasn't a big player, but at this point he completely abandons it all, and it just you know he's like, well, me and Shauna are going to vote Matt, and it's like that's a limb buddy that's like way out on a limb you know and you're like way off on your own here buddy alex kind of forgot that he was playing survivor with rob at that point yeah and so i mean you can make the argument not only did rob want to keep matt around but he wanted to get alex back he's like well if sean is here i can never get my buddy back alex so you can make the argument that rob even saw it that way look if i vote sean out i gain two allies i get matt and alex back uh, he he cements that uh, at the very beginning of the next episode as well uh, with the quote he says there. So yeah, I think it, right at the beginning, he's just yeah. like, well, it's sad that Shauna went home, but, uh, you know, maybe now Alex will get his head out of his ass and start playing this game. It's like, you know, that quote is super, imp- I feel super important because I think this, you know, we've already established Rob as this, you know, funny character, this kind of cartoon, uh, you're not cartoon, but but more comical you know, super comic, comical guy who's saying really funny things. And, you know, we're seeing the strategy inherent in there. But when Rob kind of says, get his head out of his ass and play the game, you can see that not only is he a good strategist, not only is he a smart guy, not only is he a funny guy, but he is playing hard. And, you know, that's Absolutely. something that's really good for us to watch. 
there's something I just thought of recently, and I it's it's kind of an out there theory. When I start talking about it, you're going to wonder what I'm talking about. But it makes sense. Is that Rob and Alex have an interesting little dynamic that Rob kind of gets a little pissy when he loses Alex because he wants. It seems like he always wants Alex around as his right hand man. Like they they have an interesting little dynamic. And I could never figure out what that dynamic was for the like, why does Rob need Alex so bad? And what's again, you're going to, you're going to think this is a stretch when I, when I start mentioning it, but I was just reading the book, uh, Columbine about the Columbine shootings in 2000, in 1999. Great book. And there's a, yeah, there's a term in there that the author uses, which is a dyad, which is two people working together that kind of individually, they couldn't have come up with this, this shooting, but together they just fed off each other because they had these common traits. And one of the theories that came out in that book is that the reason one of the shooters, Eric Harris, needed the second shooter is because he knew this was going to be the most awesome plan ever, and he needed a sidekick that he could laugh about it with. I need someone that all throughout the year planning it, we could talk about it and talk about how awesome it's going to be. And basically the book makes the case that he needed a second person with him because he needed someone to kind of brag about it with. And that's exactly what I think about when I when I see Amazon now with Rob and Alex, that Rob is this survivor killer. He's just murdering the game. He's ripping it apart. He's just having the grandest time of his life laughing. But he needs someone about. He needs someone on his side to laugh about it with, because Survivor would not be nearly enough fun if he couldn't have someone to brag about all the things he's doing to people. And that's how I think what I think about when I watch Amazon now that it's like a dyad. It's you have two people. Rob is the brains. He's the killer, the cutthroat, and he's got Alex because Alex appreciates Rob's sense of humor, and Rob can laugh about all the stuff he's doing. And that's exactly what I think about when I see those two, and when I see Rob getting all pissy that he lost Alex as a sidekick. Hmm, I hadn't thought about that before. I have to let that one sit before I tell you how much I agree or disagree. Exactly, and also Gene's awesome. Oh, yeah, you're really helping your case here. Anything yeah, you no, say, just... yeah, it's just shit, Mario. You just spew <laughs> shit, and I disagree with everything you say. So but which yeah, just, which one of the? Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say which which one of the two is building the faulty pipe bombs? <laughs> well, Rob's plan didn't really work in the end, and he was kind of the brain, so it does seem very stuff. So Rob would be Eric Harris. So unfortunately, I apologize for Rob. <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get thousands of emails from Rob has a podcast listeners now because we were comparing him to a sociopath. Wrong. You're yes. going to get thousands of emails. Yeah, Jay, Jay has been fishing for emails, so if you'd like to send some to Jay, he can read these. <laughs> but no, it's, I'm, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean the fact that Rob has all these great plans, and he needs someone to laugh about it with, and sure. Alex was yep. the guy. Yeah, because he can't laugh at it with Matt, because Matt yeah. is, is Matt. Yeah, in the nicest sense of the, the, the word, Matt is not bright. <laughs> well, at Survivor, yes. yes. Yes, of course. Yes. All right. So then we lose Shauna. This is where she totally gets blindsided. And Rob's got this great quote when he votes her out. Oh, my God. It's great. Yeah, You're nice and you put what's good for others above what's good for you. Unfortunately, that makes you a terrible survivor player. <laughs> Unfortunately, that makes you a <laughs> yeah. very terrible survivor player. And it goes right back to Rob's preseason quote. I am not a nice person. I mean, it feeds all right into this. Like, you think I'm funny. I'm a goofball. I'm entertaining you. But I'm here to win. And I don't care who you are. I will vote you out if you're in my way. And that's exactly what happens with Shauna. That's the turn. I mean, it's the turn. That's that's that that and the quote in the next episode, episode seven, where he basically says Alex need to get his head out of his ass and play this game. I mean, it, that's literally the turn from like not just Rob is funny and Rob is smart. It's Rob is funny and smart and is playing really, really hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Rob is. I mean, he's there for blood at this point. Shauna walks out with a soccer ball. That's badass. Oh, have you seen her final words, by the way, on the DVD, her extended final words? Bang-a-rang. I don't know that I actually just, did watch them. 
Yeah, she's just in tears for like the first five minutes. She can't talk. She has to keep pausing to start over because she's so, I mean, just shaken. But what's funny is she's not mad that she got voted out. She's just amazed that she had this wonderful experience and she was down in the dumps. And then she met all these great friends and she met Alex, who she wants to hang out with outside the game. And it's just, she goes to go from that low to that high. Uh, I can't even possibly explain that to people. So it's just, she's just completely rattled by the experience she had on Survivor. And then she thanks Gene. Okay. Every time you almost have me, you lose me, you bastard. All right. Now we're going to episode seven, which is the famous Roger episode, which is, I wrote about it on the funny 115. Everyone, I mean, this is very fondly remembered in history as one of the funniest episodes, one of the oddest episodes of all time, because they don't even hide who the boot's going to be. It's telegraphed from the very first moment of the episode. Well, I probably won't just, even was, bother talking because Marno has written about this in the Funny One Fifteen, which means I won't get a word in anyway. So I'll see you in two hours. <laughs> I will say, I will say, uh, just as we're starting this, that uh, when Heidi was watching uh, episode seven at home, she knew instantly that it was the Roger Boot episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I just wanted to say, even though I've written about this episode and I've celebrated it, I like I said earlier, I've never been a hundred percent comfortable with this episode. I just don't like the spirit behind it. I don't like how Roger has no chance to defend himself at any point in the episode. It's just people, one after another, talking shit about him. The entire episode and laughing about how funny it's going to be when he's voted out. And I know they do that a lot more now in later Survivor, where they're, they're kind of humiliate characters if they don't want them to come off well on TV. But this was maybe one of the first one where that happened. Other than maybe Silas and John Carroll, but those were a little different. But uh, this one, yeah, this was a particularly mean-spirited episode. And again, as much as people like it and as much as I've written about it in the past, it's n- it's not my favorite of this season. I love this episode. I do, too. So uh, allow, allow me to vehemently disagree. You guys are dicks. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. But... Go ahead, please. please prepare your rebuttal. My rebuttal is, is it's a fantastic episode. It's well scripted all the way through. And you can sit here and say it's a little mean spirited. It is. But you have some great uh, scenes in there. Um, you've got, you know, classic, memorable survivor scenes, especially at the at the immunity challenge and stuff like that. And I think there are some really weird things that happen in this episode that don't happen very much anywhere else that just kind of add to this uh add to the to the whole thing i mean this this thing all the way through has got some really big moments but it's got small moments as well i think it's just a really really good 42 minutes of television yeah i I would agree it's if you look at it from characters on tv this is a fantastic and hilarious episode if you look at it from real people who played a game and had to watch it at home i don't think it's a fantastic episode so i guess it really depends on how you look at it well roger takes a beating but at the same time and you can sit here and say well he didn't deserve it he will but you know I'm not saying he did deserve it. I'm I'm really not. But at, at the same time, you know, he was, I mean, all these people wanted him out and, you know, they, they gave you some reasons all the way through to get him, you know, th- that you didn't have to feel so bad. And so, you know, when you just look at it objectively, you just got to go with it. Yeah, that's true. I can't argue that. What I will say about this episode is it starts off and they have the whole thing with the the box they've been hiding at camp that they couldn't open or whatever. And they finally yeah. got the key for it. It's like a big moment. They, I don't know if you, people didn't watch this season when it was airing, but it was a big deal. What's in the box? And so they get it, and it's like, okay, you merged. And they're like, that's it? That was what we waited six episodes to read? It was, it's so anticlimactic, that stupid little box. Is, like, you started as men and women, then we mixed it up for fun. Now it's like this dumb little poem that someone wrote. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's completely anticlimactic for what a big deal it was presented as in, the, in all the previews and stuff. So then they got to pack up their stuff and go to a new place 
uh, where they meet Jeff. And, you know, you see Dave packing up. He's got, like, his metal baseball bat hanging out of his thing. It's like, baseball bat? Holy crap. Ryan Aiken. Wasn't that? Yeah, wasn't that Ryan's? Yeah, it was Ryan's that. baseball bat, but he was just packing it up. It's like, damn, <laughs> who, who let him have a baseball bat? Yeah, well, let's give this weapon to Matt. I'm sure he could use this. <laughs> All right, yeah, so they go to the, the merge, and they get wine and laughter. So Rob finally gets his wine and laughter. This is a kick-ass merge feast more than anything else. Like, some merge feasts are just, like, wine or, like, cheese and crackers and a bottle of wine or two. But, like, this one's got, like, just, like, a shit ton of hot dogs and, and like, chicken and all that sort of stuff. This is, this is a, a bangerang merge feast. It is a bangerang. <laughs> and then they have the whole little uh, controversy afterwards because everyone's top priority is they want to get the beer on ice. They want to make sure the beer stays cold. And Roger gets all pissy about it. Yeah, two things on this. One, um, and you know how like you talked about the subplot where Rob does not like Dave. Yeah. Th- this episode not only does Roger not come off so well, like Dave takes a pounding in this episode as well, and not so much a character pounding, but you know Dave, you know says a lot of things that that you know he's kind of saying something, and it's clear that he has no clue what's going on. So for as much as Roger is getting blindsided in this episode, Dave also kind of gets blindsided as well. And one of the things is you get the merge feast. And I mean, you know, before the merge feast, you know, Jabiru, the five of them were together basically saying, look, this is how we're going to do it. And they even have it at the night after the tribal council where they're basically like, all right, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to vote off Dave and then Roger. And we're just going to, you know, we're going to go in there and just pretend like it's all men. The men are going to pick off the women. But really, we're going to get rid of Dave and then Roger and stuff like that. Is that what's decided? Yes, it's what's decided. All right, we're never going to talk about it. We're not going to speak about it uh, in a big group ever again. And they all kind of go to this merge feast. And what's great is, you know, and they do it on purpose. It's camera work, right? This is, again, us watching the product on the screen. But Dave's giving his confessional going like, oh, man, we had a great feast. We had a great time, a lot of laughter, a lot of fun. No one was really thinking about who's going off next. And then you see, like, Rob giving, like, a shifty look. And then, he, and then it immediately cuts to Alex, who's giving like a shifty look, and then over to Dina. So you can see like Rob, Alex, and Dina looking around like, yeah, fuck, they got to go, you know? And it's like kind of juxtaposed with Dave's words. Like I know that that was just camera work doing that sort of thing. But, you know, yeah. Dave's saying no one's thinking about who's going off next. And it's like, no, they're exactly thinking who's going off next. Yeah, and it's followed with Rob having that great quote where he says, some people are busy building the shelter. Other people like me are building alliances. Yeah. <laughs> Great quote. Yeah. So, I mean, you can just see right here, Dave and Butch and Roger have been at a very solid point up to this point, but up to a solid place up to this point. But at this point, this is where the second half of the game takes over. And like Dina says, this is where the players start playing. And this is where absolutely the weaker players get weeded out. And Dave, Butch and Roger are gone right here. Like they're completely over their heads once all these people merge and people are start forming up uh, individual alliances. But Roger is right. Why are they putting the beer on ice? That is so dumb. <laughs> I'm a non-drinker, so I don't really understand that either. But I, I, is that a big deal? If you have the if, if you have the beer, you have to ice it down, or no one wants it. Is that how that works? Well, apparently. I, well, I, I have you know quite a bit of experience in brew and cat, craft brew and stuff like that. I mean, it was Coors Light, right? So yes. Coors, Coors Light is like barely beer. I mean, it is literally like you know a, a light alcoholic beer-like substance. But you know, beer is kind of a liquid bread thing. You know, if if uh, you can drink beer warm, it's fine. You know, most uh, American domestic beers don't really taste all that well warm because they're not you know fantastic beers. But you know, the the idea is that if you if a beer gets too hot and then you get it kind of cold again, it kind of 
you know, has this weird flavor, you know, yeast expansion inside and it kind of makes it sound or makes it uh, taste sort of skunky mm-hmm. and, and not not super, you know, great, but it's still edible. It's not like it go, you know, it's not like it's like sour and, you know, then poisonous to you, you know, you can just drink it warm, but, uh, you know, they've got ice. And I mean, obviously the ice is not going to last very long. It's like, Roger's like, well, I want to put the food on ice. It's like the food will spoil. The beer will be fine. (laughs) Did they lose their refrigerator? Didn't we have a refrigerator at one point? Yeah. I think they had to leave it because they had to go all It wouldn't fit in the canoe. Bastards. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I was always curious. Again, I'm a I'm a non-drinker. I don't understand the the beer culture. I mean, for 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 American domestic beers, yes, having it colder is preferable. I understand that fact, and they really wanted all that beer in in its optimal state. But you know, probably putting the chicken on ice is better than putting the beer on ice at that point. It's a good point. But right, you know, a- but Rogers being demonstrative, and they're all just like, "Get this fucking guy out of here," even though he's right. Yeah, but you can you can be right, but you know it's how how you doesn't mean right. you have to say it. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. I'll it give is you that. social game. Building shelter versus building alliances, Mario. You know, Roger's my dad, guys. I'm going to stick up for him. Let's knock this off. <laughs> I think. Right. That, go ahead. I was just going to move on. Do you have anything more to say about that? I was going to move on to the next thing. Uh, what is the next thing? I was going to say there's a moment of strategy here that Jenna and Heidi do not get nearly enough credit for. You know what I'm going to talk about? Yes. But they switch the vote up. Yeah, it's it's where, uh, you know, the, the plan is to vote out Dave because he's the big threat. He's the one that Rob just for some reason can't stand. They all want to get rid of the threat. And then Heidi and Jenna correctly point out, wait a minute, we don't want Roger on the jury. We have one more time to vote somebody out before the jury. We don't want Roger on the jury because he will never vote for a woman to win. And, and what's interesting we... is that that is some very fourth dimensional survivor thinking. People didn't really think like that back then. Right. So I. I I just want to give Heidi and Jenna credit for that because they, I mean, that even Dina says, you got to give them credit. That was their plan and they're right. Like, we can't have Roger on the jury. This is the only time we have to get rid of it him. It gives me one of my favorite lines from Dina. She's right. She says, Jenna and Heidi brought up a good point. Got to give them their due. That there's no way if a woman was in the end that Roger would ever, ever, ever give her a vote. Simply because we have breasts and estrogen, we are somehow so inferior to that of a man. They're right. Screw him. <laughs> yes. No, they, yeah, for the tenth time in this podcast, I will say Dina's great. I love Dina. I love Dina, and I guess I'll say it again as now. Like the fact that look, obviously, if you're bringing someone back for for an All Star season or something like that, clearly Rob Cesarino is the first person you bring back from Amazon. No question, Dina is too. And I don't think Dina's that far behind him. I don't think it's even a uh, question of Rob is obvious and then you bring back Dina. I think Rob and Dina are obvious. Exactly. Like yeah. the fact that Dina, I mean, you know, Jenna's great. And I, I do like the fact that Jenna, you know, was considered and brought back for all stars and stuff like that. But my God, Dina is fantastic. And how they've never brought her back is just ridiculous to me. Yeah, I know. It just oh, at the time in all stars, we'll get to all stars. I'll have plenty to say about all stars. But Dina and Helen were not even considered for all stars. How could that be? I don't know how that was possible. Yeah. Uh, Dina has thing. And I love the, you know, they're arguing about where to build the shelter, you know, and Roger's like, oh, it's here. And Dina's like, my training set 150 feet away from the water because of the Cayman. And Roger's like, Cayman aren't going to come up here. And, you know, Dina's, you know, kind of giving her kind of kind of look. My as training it goes. was yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. You know, and, and they go. But what I love, again, it's the whole like subtle things, which what makes this episode great is that they're having this little spat and the camera sort of pans a little bit. And there's Rob and Rob has got the biggest effing grin on his face that they're just 
you know, arguing with each other. Rob's like, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, Rob already wants Roger out. And all of a sudden, Dino wants Roger out, too. So, Rob, you can see Rob loves it when other people's plans intersect with his. And it's not even his planning. It, I mean, it just kind of worked out that way. Also, we've already started and we're going to get more as this episode goes along. But it's this string of confessionals that Rob has, like, by the log where the camera is kind of like this fish eye lens. Yeah, it's like up his nose. Uh, yeah, and he, <laughs> he's super close and the camera's, like, super stretched. And I don't know uh-huh. if they're trying to say, like, is, you know, has Rob had too many uh, uh, silver bullets or what's been going on there with him? But, like, he in those confessionals, he's so assassin-like. Like, everything he says in those is, like, it's funny, it's biting, and it's hard playing strategy at the same time. Like, there are some really golden confessionals that he gives all in those. Yeah, and again, I got to call BS on all these people that say, well, Rob sucks because all his confessionals are rehearsed. I'm like, well, of course they are. He's a comedian. Like, of course he's going to think about, everybody thinks about what they're going to say before they say it. So I can't can't stand that criticism of Rob that, oh, all his stuff sounds rehearsed. Well, no shit. Okay. Um, All right, so we have some Survivor history coming up here. Uh, This is the first ever double confessional in Survivor history. Is that correct? Yes, yes. We're talking to Alex, and, and all of a sudden, yeah, the, the camera pans over, and there's Matt. Like, what's Matt doing there? <laughs> how can, how so can you say, bizarre. I, how can you say I, I, I don't really love this episode? You get, like, Alex, then Matt in the same but, confessional, yeah. and they're like, ho, oh, 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 Beavis and Buttheading this thing. <laughs> and I think later they do uh, a Jenna and Heidi in the same. Jenna and Heidi, yes. Yeah. And again, so we have to point this out in Survivor history. That was the first time that had ever been done. And what's funny, when you watch it, it's the reveal. It's got a reveal yeah. where they'll slowly pan to the right. And there's Matt, too. <laughs> yeah, Alex is talking. He's like, yeah, well, you know, got to get Roger out. You know, blah, blah, blah. And they pan over to Matt. And Matt's like, yeah, yeah, if we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. So we got to the point where they're all celebrating the merge and everyone's having fun and talking except for Roger, who sleeps through it naturally. We get a confessional with Roger saying, you know, there's six men and four women. It can't be this easy. <laughs> and then we got this is the one where Dave starts telling his sex story. Oh, He's yeah. got all these sex stories and Rob gets pissed because Rob doesn't have sex stories. Because I think in Rob's own words, most of my sex stories involve me and a fat girl. Yeah. yeah. Rob, has, <laughs> just... Rob hardly has any boring sex stories. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, I don't have, even have any... I don't have any extravagant sex stories. I, I, I barely have even uh, boring sex stories. Yes. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so, and then he gets mad because Dave has a good sex. So, it, it, once again, it's this Rob just inexplicably hates Dave. Yes, but to to stick up for Rob, you know, Rob is, at this point, you know, he's not, you know, he's he's with Heidi and Jenna, Jenna being a swimsuit model, Heidi being Heidi, and Dave being super good-looking, super confident rocket scientist, right? And, I mean, Rob is, is, is a fantastic person in his own right, but then again, I feel I'm a fantastic person in my own right, but if I were sitting in a, in a, in a, in a campfire with Jenna and Heidi and Dave, I'm clearly the most insecure person of those those people out there, right? And, <laughs> yes. like, you know, Dave is telling the story. He's like, well, I got two chicks, right? And I'm in the back, and I've got these two chicks. And uh, I say to one of the two chicks, I'm like, uh, I dare you to eat this ice cream off me. And uh, she does. And then she put some ice cream on her, on her breasts and was like, I dare you to eat this off my chest. And, uh, yeah, you know, and he's telling this, like, threesome story, right? So then Rob's just trying to, like, tell a story about, oh, there were these girls in the room and blah, blah, and then nothing. And then, you know, what's great is that, you know, these super attractive and super confident people are like, well, Rob, you just got to seal the deal. (laughs) Yeah, go for it, Rob. Come on. Yeah. Why didn't you seal the deal? You know, and then Heidi's like, you know, if you asked a woman, you know, more often than not, you know, you'd be surprised. They'd say they'd say yes a lot. I'm like, yeah, if Dave asked women, they'd probably say (laughs) yes a lot, you know. 
You know, prior to Survivor of the Amazon, did you think that rocket scientists were getting this much action? No, no. Yeah, it's but, but they, staggering. These two chicks, man. And <laughs> I, I had to figure out the hypotenuse to properly nail them. <laughs> but then a funny scene right at the end when they all decide they're going to go to bed. You know, they're like, all right, and sit the hay. All right, good night, good night. And then Dina starts out with, good night, Rob boy. Yes. <laughs> There you go. And that leads us right into, I believe, the immunity challenge, the famous peanut butter and chocolate immunity challenge. Yeah, it's one of the most famous challenges in the history of the show. Yeah, and it, it's it's one of those that I've always thought is a little overrated since everything's blurred and they're so skinny at the time anyway that I'm not entirely sure it would have been that pleasant to look at. <laughs> but all right. Yeah. OK. It is one of the more infamous moments. Well, like, in Survivor I remember history. the way it was like even I mean, the way it was advertised. You go back. The whole thing is the, the challenge goes so quickly. If you ever just jumps off, like, there really is no competition. But it kind of I mean, we had a, we had some more things in uh, in earlier seasons where they tempted people in Australia and in Africa. But it kind of really started the new era of endurance challenges where we're just going to throw a bunch of food and just watch people like just jump off and have have a good time. Um, but yeah, no, you're but the way the show that was it was built this episode leading up to it was that the survivors are getting naked at the challenge and stuff and i remember not really like catching what they were saying i thought that was part of the challenge which was like another yeah. like sign that like they really injected a lot of kind of sex into this season which i <laughs> yeah. mean granted the players gave them stuff to work with it wasn't like the editors just threw in this element of uh sexual tension i mean it was there yeah well i should always point out that Nobody said the girls had to get naked for chocolate yeah, and peanut butter. They exactly. offered they offered before the chocolate and peanut so butter. So if you're gonna say there. that Survivor's oh, it's just a trashy show, but no, they it was not the 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 rules of the show that uh that asked for this. And didn't now you guys might not be familiar with this, didn't Heidi lose her job over this episode or something like that? I don't know that she actually lost her job. I remember her saying that she was going through a lot of uh, backlash from the community and the the um, Tia parents and stuff, but I remember her saying that she had good support from her from her principal or something. But I don't think she was in the profession of a teacher much long after this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if everyone knows what her profession was, but she was a what middle school PE teacher. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she worked with little kids, and she was like, like, hey, I never had a PE teacher look like Heidi, so <laughs> that would have been an interesting junior high experience had I had that. But yeah, so this episode airs. Heidi voluntarily pulls off her clothes on national TV to get peanut butter and chocolate and exposure. And like, yeah, naturally people back home and let's not forget she's from the Midwest. She's from Missouri, which is not particularly liberal in the first place. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, you can't have teachers doing that on national TV. So it was kind of a big controversy at the time. Well, it was that, but also the fact that uh, Jenna and Heidi turned this into a Playboy spread afterwards. That's true. I forgot about that. So, so it may have been more that, or, you know, maybe she was on the outs in the profession anyway, and then just said, F it, I'll do Playboy. But I think that was probably, uh, you know, part of the backlash as well. Um, but yeah, the, this challenge, you know, they're just standing on a perch. It's not super tiny. I mean, now I, you know, when they do endurance challenges, they usually ramp up the difficulty by, you know, making them stand on, you know, ever decreasing lengths of, of wood and stuff like that. But they're really just kind of standing out there and, you know, what's funny is that Jeff's like, well, there will be temptations along the way. And then, you know, that's the I'll get naked. Like They bring it up. And, of <laughs> yeah. course, Rob with a good line of probes, get the girls some chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. And stuff like let's, that. Let's not forget the equally good butch line of kids at home. I'm not looking. I'm not looking, kids. <laughs> no, but the ki the killer is that butch is like, I'm not looking. Kids at home, I'm not looking. And you hear Dave in the background going, I I'm am looking. looking. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I did hear Rob give uh, give an interview where he said that, you know, 
he you know he was always thinking of good comedy things and stuff like that and in retrospect you know rob says i wasn't winning that challenge anyway what i should have done was i should have fallen off when jenna and heidi fell off you know in gone naked yeah, I don't think he said he should have gone naked, but he's like, it would have been funny if I was like, looked so shocked that, you know, the girls got naked that, you know, I fell off. But, you know, he did all right. He got he got a pretty cruddy looking pizza afterwards um, yes. there. And uh, Dave and Matt jump off for Buffalo Wings. But the the killer line to me is, you know, at the end, the last two standing are Christy and Dina. And then Probst's final uh, temptation is a big old plate of spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> and Christy's like, is there garlic bread? This is it. No garlic bread. <laughs> well, then they do rock, paper, scissors, and Christy doesn't even know if she's lost. She's like, did I lose? I'm like, yeah, you lost. Like, even if she, it was funny, if, even if she would have won, if Dina would have said, no, you lost, just jump off. Yeah, Dina just kind of like takes a finger, points to the water, like, yeah, get in, bitch. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what she said. <laughs> well, we don't know. She didn't even have to, Dina didn't even have to like say anything out loud. That'd be the coolest part about like strategizing with Christy is you could just like, just like lip, like you just like move your lips and and no sound will come out. So she could have said that. We don't know. Yes. So Christy goes down in the water. Dina wins and Dina's all happy because, you know, I just beat Roger. That's all I cared about is I lasted longer than a man. Yeah. It, it, this whole I, I wrote in my notes. There, I was like, poor Roger. This episode's such a character assassination. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, what's funny is that Roger goes in, you know, I mean, it's it's not even it's not even veiled. It's like he jumps in the water and like Jenna's giving thumbs up and, it, you know, yeah. Alex is giving thumbs up back. Like there's four people like thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, yeah. thumbs up, thumbs up. And there's Roger just swimming in. And I was funny. I was watching that just like you said, all the thumbs up. And I'm like, that must just be editing. They must have just edited that in to make it look. But the more I watched it, I don't think that was just editing. I think they actually were doing thumbs up to each other visibly all during that Roger falling off part. All right. So we get back to camp and now it's just shit on Roger for the last 10 minutes of the episode, which is really hilarious slash brutal slash mean, depending on how you want to look at it. Although I will say this has maybe my all time favorite Rob Sesternino quote where he says, uh, you know, he knew Roger wouldn't win because the only thing that Roger, an old man like Roger could have won was name that Perry Como song or what perhaps what type of prune is this <laughs> or some other other some sort of other thing that only an old man like Roger could determine. Which is, that, that I fish, love that he pulls, it, pulls out Perry Como. <laughs> that fisheye confessional, man. He was just yeah. killing it. Poor Roger. But yeah, I, I love that he randomly references Perry Como, who I wouldn't even know a kid with like Rob's age would even know Perry Como. <laughs> It's a great reference. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, and then Ro- Alex has a great confessional right after that. Like, uh, what is that? Uh, we got chocolate naked girls for chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, Roger didn't win immunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I got a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but even, even still like Dina is giving a, you know, another confessional where like, you know, uh, or no, I think it, is it Christy or, you know, they're, they're giving a confessional, one of the one of the ladies is giving a confessional about how, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you can't do this. You got to do this. And, you know, you can't do firewood. Firewood is what men does best and stuff like that. And a lot of times when I watch these episodes, I'm literally talking to the characters on the television as well, uh-huh. you know, just kind of giving, you know, comedic rebuttals. And so I think it was Dina that was like, nope, we'll do firewood because firewood is what men do best. And I was like, no, 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 Dina, no, no, no. Firewood is what Butch does best. Get it right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But then we get the Jenna and Heidi double confessional. The, yeah, we are the wild. original. We are the original girls gone wild. And they're just kind of yeah, like goofy, the... and they're giggling, and they're like kind of like nudging each other, and ha 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 ha. Yeah, now the editors are just getting greedy. They're like, "Hey, the first one was funny. Let's do another one." 
but, no, but they were just hoping that they would kind of start making out in the interview and that didn't exactly really happen. yeah <laughs> but you're right mario i mean the, they're literally giggling in this interview about themselves but also going and the funny thing is that roger's going home i mean there's no pretense it's literally yeah. just roger's going home there was not even an alternative boot being bandied about i mean there's no other name being thrown around it's going to be roger like so I'm, we, were, we were watching this episode thinking okay well how's it going to turn on someone who's going to get blindsided and it doesn't turn on anybody. It's Roger, just like they predicted. And that, again, I point out at the time, I don't think they'd ever done this on Survivor before, but they didn't even try to misdirect you at all. I mean, they just absolutely wanted you to laugh at Roger's downfall. But we also learned from Rob that uh, those men are Jamokes. They're Jamokes. <laughs> and Rob does promise he's going to be the last man standing in the game, which is actually not, not correct. <laughs> almost, well, but not quite. Almost. Not quite. Well, we, and, have a, we, haven't, we haven't classified Matthew, though. So <laughs> exactly. All right. So we go to tribal council. We lose Roger. <clears throat> Rob's got the famous Casey Kasem vote. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye. And I've written about this before. A lot of people who are new to my writings and stuff might not know this. But Rob shared a story with me right after Amazon. We were kind of writing back and forth. And he said he got in a lot of trouble for that vote. Mm-hmm. That na, na, hey, hey, goodbye. Because apparently he was too loud and they can hear him all the way back at tribal council. And Probst didn't appreciate that because he didn't like people show voting and like their votes like that. And so Rob and so Probst is like, you know, we're never going to use that in the episode. That was too loud and we could hear it. And he, for some reason, like Rob being uh, smarmy and goofing off all the time. So Rob said, yeah, Probst promised me that would never be used in the episode because it was too loud. But then when they got to the episode, it was too good. So they had to use it. So he was kind of he always kind of amused about that, that they ended up using it anyway. Yeah, he said that as well. Um he he reiterated reiterated that story on on the Dom and Colin podcast. Uh, Dom and Colin do this podcast where they do uh, occasional retrospectives with certain survivors. So people who really like uh, talking just pure strategy, those are really really good when they talk with survivors. And Rob C uh, did their podcast, and he 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 uh, relayed some of those funny stories like 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 the Casey Kasem vote. But it's really just pure strategy talk. But Rob has said that to he said it to you earlier, but he said it he's repeated that so many times that jeff probes just got super pissed about it and was like no way that'll never make air absolutely not how dare you and and it totally did because it's great yeah I've, I've heard a lot of great stories over the years with jeff just being bitchy to people behind the scenes like they'll turn off the cameras and he'll yell at him or they'll do something that he didn't like on camera and he'll yell at him so it's just it's just another one of those great jeff probes is a, a bitchy douche behind the scenes sometimes scenes or uh, stories do you think he ever like just like throws down his hat and goes fucking Gene? <laughs> Probably. I I'd like to th- I like to think that that Gene was the source of his hatred, but I guess we'll never know. <laughs> you know, when Jeff saw the concept of Redemption Island, he knew instantly that the fans were going to hate it. Is Heidi, ever, Heidi should be a producer on Survivor because she would just know instantly what the fans would want. <laughs> instantly, she'd be like, "All right, she'd only want young, pretty girls and no bigger girls that have more <laughs> fat to live on." <laughs> oh, oh Heidi. Well, it's fine. I just, I, I've mentioned before, my wife just can't stand Heidi, just absolutely livid. Anytime she sees Heidi or hears her voice. And I was going through this marathon of these last five episodes today, be, watch before this podcast. And at one point, Heidi starts talking. And I could just hear my wife from two rooms over. There she goes. There she goes again. The gift that keeps on giving. Uh, well, I got to tell you, though, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, winning at the game of life. Heidi did all right with herself, I must say. So we're going into episode eight here. This is the one that I like to call Dave's last stand because it's all dedicated to Dave. 
and partially Matt going crazy, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I, I have to <laughs> say, like, with, with Amazon, this episode really does kind of, if I think about where, I, like, I mean, like, now, like, rewatching it, it wasn't as bad as I remember, but this is one episode where it kind of, like, drags for me a little bit. Like, we know what's going to happen and stuff, and once we hit episode eight is really where the strategy kicks off. So this episode has always been one of the slower ones for me. Yeah, I would agree with that, except for the part that it introduces the Matt is a psycho killer subplot when it's creepy. So uh, you got one bad, but you got one good. And I, I, hopefully it, it uh, balances each other out. Although I will say at the start of episode eight, like, like <laughs> this, this is the saddest thing. You know, we spent an entire episode shitting on Roger and saying how he's the worst person ever, how his downfall is hilarious. How do they open episode eight? By mocking Roger even more, by hanging his underwear up on a tree and playing taps. Yes, but then we get the great line from Rob where, like, you know, they were like, that was flat. And Jen's like, that was flat. His little taps on, on his thing. Yeah. He's like, sorry, I haven't tuned my bugle in a few weeks. <laughs> that was great. See, that's the kind of stuff that Rob could do better than anybody, the little quips like that. Well, and that proves, you know, when everyone's like, oh, he's just funny because he were, you know, he said rehearsed lines. It's like, that wasn't super rehearsed, and that was great. Absolutely. Plus, it was a masturbation reference, which we're always in favor of. Always good. But, you know, Dave is now kind of, you know, he wakes up, he's like, well, uh, Roger got voted out. I, uh, I think this is bad. But you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm the re- I, I've always said I was going to be the real Dave Johnson, and I was going to go from there. <laughs> I, I like Dave. Well, I'll, we'll talk, I'll talk more about Dave after we vote him out here. But, yeah, this is – he says, he goes, you know, the game's kind of been going on behind my back. You know, I just kind of noticed, finally figured out what's going on. But, yeah, he's, he's screwed. He's screwed in this episode. He's got a great quote later with the Dina, with the where he finally points out that he's a rocket scientist. That's one of my favorite lines of the season. Mm-hmm. All right, so we start in with the episode. Nothing happens, and then we get to the famous Matt is creepy scene, which is entirely narrated by Rob Sesternino. And I should point out, Rob will narrate just about every scene of the next three episodes. You get a lot of narration. We get the, you know, you kind of get that that psycho music in the background. You get Matt just kind of going, and he's standing there, and he's got the little sharpening stone, and he's just slowly sharpening that knife. And what's funny is that he's slowly sharpening the knife, and you even hear Dina, like, live in the background going, like, oh, my God, he just keeps sharpening it. You know, <laughs> like, they're literally talking about him around mm-hmm. him. Like, uh-huh. that's how out of it Matthew was, was he was literally just, like, in a zone and he was just going and I mean, they were going, but uh, something that's used in, 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 in the J household, me and my wife, we do use the, the hand gesture that Christy does when she's talking about Matt. Oh, creepy. Of course. Yeah, he's creepy. Every, I can't, I think most survivor fans must do that at this point. He's I mean, creepy. Yeah. After the hand gesture. Do, does, yeah. Do people out there do that? Because I mean, that is one of the things we do all the time. Like almost every day, like something happened. <laughs> we're just looking, we're like creepy. That's creepy. How much creepy stuff is going on in your house? Is your house like haunted? <laughs> well, only only a little bit. I mean, just just the third floor. All right, but yeah, no, that's one of my favorite scenes. I had so much fun with Christy and the creepy scene on the Funny One Fifteen, and yeah, that's just one of those things that's lived on over the years. And you can throw it into almost any Survivor discussion, and most of the fans will get it. Just to show a picture of Christy doing that hand gesture, and most people know what that means. It's creepy. Well, you know, Rob with the, you know, he keeps he keeps getting it. Why does he need the knife so sharp? I think he's going to kill us. Yeah, no, Rob is great in all those narration scenes he does for the rest of the season. Yeah. And you got to think there might have been some truth about that. Like, if you really do think Matt is that unstable and, and loves weapons and is going to snap, you might not want to vote him off. I mean, if there might be some legitimate strategy between, behind Matt doing that. All right. So what do we got here? We got to the uh, reward challenge, the 
bungee cord collecting flags, which is, again, one of the more forgettable challenges of the season. Yawn. Yeah, nothing happens. Dave Dave wins, and he takes Dina with him. That's all we need to say about that. So Dave and Dina get to go in this little loofah bath retreat, like a little spa. And that's where they kind of bond. And and that's that's one of my top five quotes of the season where Dave says to Dina, it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out that I'm fucked. Yeah. Just, that's a great, like if you're a rocket scientist, you have to have so much fun with that in a daily life. Like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to order off the, the value menu at McDonald's, just little stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Dina's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> you're right. I'll give you that. But then there's another great quote in there either where, uh, this is something I remember came up. It was a big deal at the time where Dina says, we have to exercise. There are, one thing we can do to save you is we can exercise the 5150 status of Matthew. Yeah, the 5150 gets introduced here. Yeah, what's interesting is I remember when that came up in the episode, and I had never heard that term. Like, what the hell is a 5150? And, like, I remember on the message boards at the time, no one really knew that term. And so I kind of looked it up, and I found it. It's a, it's a statute in California law, and it's basically – if you're a danger to self or others, they can remove you from a home or a job or something. It's basically where the government steps in and says you're a danger to others and we have to put you in a home or a hospital. And that's what a 5150 is. And Dina, being a district attorney, would know that because it's a, probably some kind of criminal code they know if they need to remove someone from a house or something. So so I remember putting that on the message board on a Survivor Sucks saying, hey, here's what a 5150 is. And so many people like, oh, I always wondered about that. So it's just one of those little terms that was thrown into an episode that a lot of people don't know what that means. But it's actually a pretty funny joke if you get the terminology behind it. Yeah, Survivor can teach you something, believe it or not. Absolutely. It Well, in, I didn't catch that at the time. I mean, at the time, mm-hmm. I, that, that whole thing went completely over my head. She said the 5150 status of Matthew. It didn't even really pique my curiosity. I was just like, oh, it stands for something. You know, uh-huh. and I just kind of glossed it over. But... Uh, for those of you who haven't, and uh, I know, again, we'll get there when we get there, blah, blah, blah. But if you listen to the uh, – when you get to Survivor All-Stars, if you have the DVDs, there's the commentary uh, from the DVDs. And uh, the first four episodes are commentated by uh, Rudy and Rob C. and Jenna and uh, Tina. And Jenna is talking about, you know, especially the the Rupert shelter building, you know, with Jerry just going off the deep end there. And, you know uh, – Jenna just keeps going like, oh, she's totally 5150. She's 5150. She's totally 5150. <laughs> Jenna mentions 5150 like 48 billion times in that commentary. And you know she like probably was hearing it from Dina. Yeah, that's right? where she you know, learned Dina, it from. Dina probably said it a million times on the Amazon and they spent so much time out there. And so like I, I, now when you go back, you're like, oh, that's where Jenna got it from was from Dina. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that is – that, uh... I'm pretty sure Jenna used to read my columns at Survivor Central because I'd, I'd catch the little stuff that I wrote. It would show up in her phrases or sayings sometimes. And that 5150 is something I would always comment on. And then she showed up in the All-Stars commentary saying it. And something else that I remembered is I used to call Ethan and All-Stars Ethan 2.0. I'm like, oh, this is like the, the more powerful, stronger version, Ethan 2.0. And if you listen to the All-Stars commentary, she calls him Ethan 2.0 like 20 yes, times. It's, it's the exact same thing. So I'm like, Jenna used to read my column. I can, I can pick her out. Oh, you famous guy, you. Absolutely. The best guy. And Gene. Also Gene. Fucking Gene. <laughs> All right. So we get to uh, one thing that happens in this episode is where, you know, Dave's trying to save himself. And, and then we get this confessional where Rob starts calling the girls twigs and sticks. This is mm-hmm. the episode. What's interesting is if you pay attention to the uh, the episode titles of Survivor Amazon, the one where they have the twist where Dave and Jenna pick new teams, that's called Pick Up Sticks. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you think about that. It's also Dave trying to pick up Jenna, pick up sticks. But they don't actually refer to them as twigs and sticks until this episode, which is two episodes later. So just a little Survivor trivia bit. It's well done. Yeah, so there you go. This is the kind of stuff you learn from this podcast. But also, Dina is pissed at Dave. She's like, fucking Dave. Because, you know, they come home from this reward challenge. And, I mean, both of them are just, you know, it's always weird when you go on a reward. And, you know, even this is Survivor 6, and they haven't figured it out yet. It's like, when you come back from a reward, how do you act, you know? We've learned that, you know, you, you, you try to smuggle food if you can. You don't offer your chewed mint. You know, we've learned some, you know, pieces along the way. But with this one, you know, Dave was just like, well, you know, wasn't that great? Really, wasn't that great? It, 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 it was ice cream and it was melted anyway. Don't worry about it. And, yeah. you know, then they were, they were eating the meal and they're like, good, I'm hungry. And Jenna's like, no, you don't get to eat. You had an ice cream sundae. We want to eat fish and manioc and stuff Screw like that. Screw you, and, you fat pig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the whole <laughs> <laughs> yeah, screw you, fat pig. But the thing is, is that like both Dina and D- and Dave were like, "I'm hungry," and she's like, "Fucking Dave, God, Dave." <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that "screw you, you fat pig" line. I'm like, "Wow, I'm surprised they put that in the episode." That's kind of harsh, by as Survivor was back then that they wouldn't normally put a. If you think back to two episodes before with Boston Rob slamming the Rotus and how harsh that was at the time, "screw you, you fat pig" is it's pretty pretty harsh for early Survivor. All right, what do we got here? So we're finishing up this episode, which is probably the last forgettable episode of the season. I just kind of wrote, you know, Rob gets just about every confessional in the season around this point. I said, uh, Matt, Matt keeps talking. Oh, Rob is my lifeline this game. I really appreciate my genuine friendship with Rob, which, of course, is kind of setting up Rob or Matt for this huge downfall to look like an idiot later. But he says, I'm clueless. He literally says the phrase, I'm clueless in this game. All right, there you go. So he will he is backing up the editing the the edit that he gets. So that's actually important too. Yes. But we get the three chops challenge in this one, right? And this is the mask. Yes, this is the face. This is the face the, where they get the a giant face and they have to paint it to look like themselves and Dave writes booyah coming out of a little voice bubble. And uh yeah, this is basically the coconut chop challenge. It's the same type of thing where they answer questions and they got to go chop down someone's someone's uh little chopping the 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 log that comes in and smashes the face and of course this isn't marquesas anymore the players are much smarter so they don't aren't as obvious with their plans as they used to be they're not as obvious but i feel like they're not super great in this one they're rob not does but again good job. rob purpose, purposefully knows he doesn't want to piss anyone off yeah rob's throwing questions left and right trying to answer porn star for some of them the bushmaster <laughs> that was great <laughs> and butch is like that's terrible rob <laughs> he says it's terrible, and I think he was saying uh, on Dominic Collins' podcast too that he was saying that he really he loved that joke and he thought that joke killed, and oh, like pro- Probes just shot him down. And was like, no, you know, yeah. it's like Probes. Oh, great- yeah, that's a great line. Uh, it's I will fully back up ninety nine percent of Rob's jokes. I appreciate his quips. <laughs> yeah, but like they get rid of Matt right away, and they get rid of you know Dave right at the same time, and you know Dave's the target because they want to get rid of Dave, but they get rid of Matt right away, and then Alex goes like right afterwards. Uh-huh. You know, like it's pretty pecking order in a lot of ways, and I think what is telling at the very end is who wins this challenge. Jenna, absolutely, all the big players gunning for each other, and look who's left standing at the end. It's like likable. We don't take her seriously as a threat, Jenna. We like Jenna. Jenna survives. I mean, yeah, that, very that is telling. important. And she gets the, the immunity necklace, which I always joke looks like a bunch of carrots. Yeah, I called it the immunity carrots. It's those big orange things. Let's see. What do we got here? Okay, so Jenna wins immunity. They go to tribal council. And this is one where uh, 
I just put it on my notes. I forgot what the example was. I was. Jeff was always trying to call out Rob or put him on the spot at tribal council, but Rob will BS his way through the answer every single time. And which, which one am I am I thinking of there? Was that where he's laughing at Rob being where, where Matt says he's he's learning the game and he knows how it works now? And Rob's all laughing and probes is like, oh, a lot of facial reactions, Rob. And Rob's like, I'm I'm very proud of Matt. He's come a long way. Yes, he does. He does talk about Matt's uh, Matt's journey, and you know he's proud of Matt's progress or yeah. something like that. But yeah, Matt. I mean, Rob just BS his tribal council answers as well as anybody ever has. Every time Probes tries to call him on it, he he'll completely come up with some BS answer that sounds true. All right. So what do we got here? So we lose Dave, and in his final words, he goes out and well, one of the things that just it just struck me when I was watching these episodes where Dave goes out and he. He pulls out a random Nepalese saying in his final words. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm smart and I speak Nepalese. K Garnet Garnet. I always thought that was very... Okay, maybe that's why Rob hates him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he... <laughs> Whatever, Dave, booyah. I mean, I, there's no way I'd get along with that guy in real life, so I really don't really have much of an opinion on him on Survivor. I have a, a funny story. Do you have anything to say about, Jay this, or about Dave, Jay? I do not. Yeah, I have a, a funny story. When I was when Amazon was airing on TV, every so often I'd hear from survivors on email or, or their family or something. And one of my all-time favorite survivor interactions was the guy who worked in the cube next to Dave Johnson at work. <laughs> he didn't even watch Survivor, but he's like, yeah, I, I my co-worker's on uh, TV, and I was reading some columns. I noticed that you write a, show, a column about a show. I just want to tell you about Dave. So every day, like every week after the episode, the guy who worked in the column next to Dave would, would email me like what Dave had for lunch that week and stuff. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. So I, I got all these secondhand stories on what Dave did, and I, I forget the guy's name, but it was funny. He was like... Yeah, Dave. Dave and I went for a walk today. Dave was pretty cool. <laughs> it's like it was the weirdest little interaction I ever had with a with a loved one of a survivor. Hey, well, we're we're getting towards some real good meat and potatoes episodes, you know, to kind of finish the season. The season's going to finish on just a huge strategical high note. But yep. notice we entered the merge six men, four women, and uh, now it's four four. <laughs> Absolutely, it's four four, and I don't think the men are noticing that. The women are slowly starting to get them to pick each other off. And here we have the big one. This is one. This is a controversial episode. And I will say flat out that for years, there was a, a, you know, people would make lists or write opinion pieces on who were the best survivor players that didn't win. And, you know, Rob Sesternino was always up there. I've always argued for Colby. Lex used to be up there, Kathy O'Brien. And one person I always put on my list was Dina. One of the best survivors. I'm like, if you name the top three female players who didn't win, this was up, up through like season 10 or summer 12. There weren't that many at the time. But I would always rank Dina very high on my list. And people would always give me shit for it. They're like, oh, she was an idiot. She got herself voted out. I'm like, but if she had played that a little differently, she was just in, I mean, she was in as much power as Rob was. And she probably had a better chance of winning that Rob did other, she was, up until this episode. She was attached. She was like a little bit ahead of Rob. Like she pushed it too far. It's a little bit too aggressive. She like yeah. over, she, she, she underestimated the, you know, the loyalty that, that the Alliance had to Alex. But from a strategical standpoint, I mean, it really was a good move. I mean, it, it would it have been really good for her. And uh, she knew that going in that group that she had to make the move now to knock off, you know, one of Alex, Jenna, Heidi, you know, she had, she had to kind of break up that, 
that that group that was threatening her and you know the way she went about it was unfortunate it was unfortunate for her too because they were all such they're all such good you know they kept up the charade so she didn't really have you know much time to react in that but but there's i mean you cannot say dina was a bad player at all because she really played a really good game she played a little bit too hard and a little bit before her time even yeah, there's there's always been this belief in the, among the survivor survivor audience. Like I said, a lot of armchair players love to criti- critique and criticize the strategies, and there's always been this belief that if you have one bad moment or one bad episode and it gets you booted, that it cancels out everything you did before that, and that is it. It applies to no one more than it does to Dina. And like I said, I always rank her as my one of my better players not to win. And this episode's a controversial one because this is the one so many people will shit on her, saying, "Oh, she screwed up and got voted out." I'm like. You know, good players get voted out sometimes. It, it could have gone the other way, and she would have maybe won, would have won the game. So I will always stand by Dina in this episode. I think um, what comes up in Survivor more often than not is that you need to have a lot of things on your side in order to win a Survivor season. Uh, you know, you just need to have a favorable cast, uh, first of all, which, you know, is something you cannot control. But I think that, you know, you need to have uh, good good luck at times. I think you need to, you know, have some good strategy at times. But I think a lot of Survivor is just literally timing. Yeah. And, you know, really with timing, you know, sometimes, and especially with Dina, Dina was kind of grasping this alliance, you know, by the horns and leading it places. And, you know, that's always a tough place to go, which is why I feel, you know, it's not I'm not trying to sit here and bring up a whole can of worms as like what survivor strategy is best. There isn't one. If you win, it's great. But, you know, a lot I think a lot of times, you know, history tends to favor those players that kind of are the leading the alliance or the main uh, control of the game by the horns as opposed to kind of riding it out. You know, those riding it out players like uh, like Sandra and 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 even Jenna in this in this season and stuff like that, they're kind of just riding this out and kind of biding their time under the radar kind of thing. They don't get as celebrated as much as like a uh, a Boston Rob or or a Kim or you know a Yule or somebody that literally took the game by the horns and steered it somewhere. But you know it's a it's a tough line because those people that are steering, you know, like if you steer too slow, you lose control. If you steer too hard, you know, then people really start to question you, and that's what happened with Dina. Is you know she just really you know kind of wanted to kick things into overdrive and it really just made everybody just kind of go oh wait whoa slow oh no no we got to get rid of her and it's just a real tough thing that you know she kind of put her trust in just not quite the right people and then that started some talking and then it just you know kind of snowballed from there and dina was well liked so it wasn't a matter of they didn't like her i mean no, she, i right. think she would have easily gotten to the end in fact one like i always think the 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 storyline of survivor of the amazon is don't spook rob c or he's going to turn on you he's going to vote you out and I don't think if you pay attention, Rob isn't the one who who lobbied to vote Dina out. I don't think he ever wanted to get rid of Dina. I think at a certain point it snowballed and all of his allies wanted to get rid of Dina and he just kind of had to go along with it. So it's one of those like she never spooked Rob. She was a really good player who made really good decisions, was well liked, was very powerful. And she like you said, she just underestimated the social bond that I think Jenna and Heidi and Alex had. And that's really what got her. And she just did wasn't aware they were that close when she wasn't around. Yeah, it was Heidi and Alex, really, that kind of yeah. started that move against Dina. But, I mean, that that's the thing. Yeah, you're right. Dina was super well-liked and super well-respected. I don't, you know, people outside of the game don't really have a lot of bad things to say about Dina, or they shouldn't. But yep. I think people in the game, you know, wouldn't have a lot of bad things to say about Dina. It was just at that point they were like, oh, God, Dina's not going to work for us. We need to get her out. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's really all there is to it. You can say she made a horrible mistake that screwed her game. I don't necessarily think she made a mistake. I think just timing and personalities got her in the end, and it's just one of those things that happens sometimes. 
All right, so let's get into this one. This will be the last episode we cover on this podcast, but this is a big one, so we got a lot to say about this one. Okay, this is... I know Jay has a lot to say about this one because this is the chain episode. (laughs) Oh, I was hoping that we wouldn't forget about the chain. (laughs) I'm not going to forget about the chain. You can't ever forget about the chain. The chain is good. (laughs) Because we have Rob telling lies and goose chases to Matthew. Every morning, Rob will get up and he really has nothing better to do. He just wants to steer Matt on a wild goose chase of the day so that Matt won't get a clue on how the game's actually going. So he will get up, he'll debrief Matt, and Matt's job is to basically play telephone and repeat the story to Butch, only from the perspective of, this is all you need to know, I'm the one calling the shots, Butch, I will tell you what you need to know from here on out. So basically, it's a game of telephone that is all based on BS. So every, this is one of the more comical scenes of the season where they play the James Bond music, the spy music, and, and Rob is starting the chain every morning, and Butch is all excited because he gets to be part of this chain. Because up to this point, if you look at from Butch's point of view, Roger had just been voted out, David just been voted out, Butch has absolutely no allies left in this game. He's like, oh, so you're telling me there's a chain of information I can be a part of? Sure, why not? And so this is basically how we're going to go the rest of the season from here on out. This chain actually becomes somewhat important. Right. It's be, you know, This episode really does solidify with this stupid chain thing. It really does kind of solidify. You see you know, a couple episodes ago, Rob and Matt talking to each other just about the game. And you know, Matt just saying, I don't know, man. I, I, I trust you. Let's, let's see what kind of goes on. And then uh, in, in in the last episode, there's a, a lot of scenes that you see Rob talking with Matthew, and you know, uh, you know, Rob's like, "Well, what do you think about this?" And I mean, Rob has probably no interest in what Matt has to say, in what Matt thinks about this thing. But you know, he's kind of feigning strategy talk, and you can see Rob like steering Matt into a direction, kind of going, "Well, what do you think about?" And he'd phrase it like this, and then Matthew would kind of go, "Oh yeah, well then we need to, you know, blah blah." blah. And Rob's like, "Exactly, that's what I think too." But you can see Rob really just manipulating manipulating Matthew, you know, and kind of feeding him the information. And then there's poor Butch, who's just out there with nothing else, just getting bitten by Pramanas. And so, you know, Butch is Butch needs to have something. And, you know, Rob is just kind of taking, as you said, this bottom feeding strategy, taking these forlorn people who have no other way to no other way to go and just kind of bringing them in. And he talks about this great chain, the chain of information. <laughs> and it's just great because you can just like what I love about Matt and especially Butch is just the earnestness on their faces. They're just like, you yeah, 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 this is great, you know? And you just rob, and it's just like, God, you're kidding me. <laughs> well, you look at this from a practical point of view. Like, you can look at it with Rob just being bored and just kind of being a dick. He just wants to fuck with people. But you look at it like there's these two pawns left in this game, like Matt and Butch. They're clearly on nobody's radar. No one thinks they have anything to do with this game. They're not a power player. But Rob is the only one smart enough to think, I'll just kind of keep these guys around just in case I ever need them because... I don't think, like, Heidi and Jenna are going around talking to Matt all the time. Like, Rob's, like, he's the only one kind of being proactive about this, thinking, look, I don't like this guy. This guy's a spaz. He doesn't even know what he's going on. He's clearly, this game's way over his head. But down the road, I may need him. If something goes wrong, I may need two extra votes. So you got to look at the way Rob approached this game, and it was so different to the way other people approached Survivor at the time. He just, these bottom feeders, he would not write off. He would just make sure he had a working relationship with them just in case, because you never know. And that's, I mean... That's why Rob was such a special player at the time. And he had fun with it the whole time, too. I mean, he's 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 having fun while, you know, maintaining this relationship that he's going to end up needing later on from these two guys. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think you can underestimate, that if you're having fun and you're really enjoying everything you're doing out there, it's going to be way easier for you to make it to the end um, than mm-hmm. someone if, if you're hating every step of the way and complaining every step of the way. I think that's something that Rob really used to his benefit. 
Yeah, I mean, he had backup plans on backup plans. He had just all sorts of little trapdoor strategies. If something went wrong, here's another way it can go. Yeah, he made it fun, but, you know, it's all work. He's working these people, and he's, you know, he's putting a lot of real hard work in cultivating these relationships. And, I mean, I don't, I don't really think that Matt and Butch were, you know, super temperamental people that needed a lot of, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But still, Rob is, you know, putting effort into his relationships with Matt and Butch. Well, yeah, I mean, you can have to imagine Butch was out there fishing by himself every day. Wouldn't talk. I mean, all his friends were gone. I'm sure he had no ties to half these people like Jenna. He has no tie to Jenna. Dina, he doesn't really know her. So, like, he's probably out there fishing just doing what Butch does. And Rob's like, no one's talking to this guy. How about I start talking to him? And so, like, I'm sure it was it was not in his plans that he was going to take Butch and, and Matt with him to the final four. But that's just kind of the way it worked out because his backup plan was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, again, that's something Rob doesn't get nearly enough credit for. Okay, and then, oh, is this the episode where we give Matt weapons? Yes, this is where the challenge is, here's a bunch of weapons, try to hit things with them, and and Rob's like, oh, God, Matt's going to orgasm when he sees all these weapons. (laughs) He does say that. It's fantastic. (laughs) Great. We didn't hear the word orgasm enough on Survivor until Rob. (laughs) Yeah, but then Matt doesn't win, which is also also great. He orgasmed over the weapons, and Alex beats him. (laughs) Well, there's a... Yeah, there's a, there's, a great, there's a great scene right before the challenge where Rob is talking about, you know, I'm telling Matt, maybe you don't want to win this challenge. Everyone knows you're amazing at challenges. Maybe you should throw it. Rob, and Matt's like, hey, maybe I should throw this. And Rob's like, now you're thinking. Now you finally kind of get how this game works. And I love the irony of that scene. I wrote about this on The Funny 115 because Rob is kind of trying to teach Matt to throw challenges to help him get further in the oh, game. Yeah. And if you look later down the road, Matt more than likely throws that final three immunity challenge, which ends up getting Rob voted out. So it's, nice. I love the irony here that, yeah, Rob teaches Matt how to throw challenges, and that's exactly why Rob loses the game. Oh, yeah, he screws Matt over, or Matt screws him over so yeah. hard at the end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's kind of a subtle in this scene. Rob's like, yeah, now you finally get it. And so the first, the, first uh, the reward challenge starts, Matt goes out there, and of course Matt hits the bullseye on everything. And Rob just kind of shrugs his shoulders like, I, I can't even believe this guy. This guy's the biggest moron ever. And then Matt ends up losing in the challenge to Alex at the end, although it's never said if Matt actually throws the challenge or Alex just beats him. We don't know. I have no idea what happens there. But, yeah, it's it's funny that Matt actually doesn't win this challenge. Alex wins it fair and square, I think. Yeah, I mean, that was a what they had to do an arrow shot kind of from elevation or whatever. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, they both they both had, you know, what you, know, you get one shot. I mean, that's always. Yeah, it's always tough. I mean, I, I don't do archery on a, on a regular basis, but, you know, it's like I play golf, you know, and it's like you can go to the driving range and you could hit a golf ball and you could hit a golf ball 40, 50 times and you could generally do well. But then you get out there and you play, on, you know, on, on a course and you can hit it. And I mean, you can just go awry, you know, I mean, you can't expect Matthew to just hit the bullseye every single time. Yes, he's not coach. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, duh. Hey, Paul, when you edit this episode, the part where Jay says, it's not like I practice archery every day. That's where you insert coach saying, I do. <laughs> I have. Because only coach uh, does have, every yeah. day. Yeah, of course. That's how right, you yeah. do. So, yeah, Alex wins the reward challenge. He gets to go to the Amazon coffee bar. He goes with Jenna. And I don't remember anything specifically interesting happening in that other than they sit around and gossip a lot and drink coffee. And they they kind of, you know, throw around the notion here about how Dina's a little bit different from them. Like, she's not that much older than Alex, but, you know, she's uh-huh. she has two kids and something's just kind of up with her. So it kind of sets the stage for that while, you know, 
while Dina is kind of going to be brewing these plans back at camp about cutting out Alex, that uh, that Alex is bringing up concerns about Dina. Does Jenna call her a fat pig again? <laughs> Edit it out. They thought one, Edit it out. <laughs> one screw you fat pig per season. <laughs> okay, good. Well, she is our winner. We have to make her look yeah, good. Yeah, we can't make her too much of a bitch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All right. The linchpin okay. here is Heidi, though, because while Jenna and uh, Alex are at the reward, you know, Dina's like, yeah, I think I want to get rid of Alex. And she's talking to Heidi all about it. And I mean, they get back from the reward and Heidi's like, uh-uh, no, 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 Jenna, listen to this. Oh, hell no. But yeah, that's true. It's like Dina is probably correctly figuring that Alex needs to get out of this game real quick because he's a bigger threat than half of the other people left at this point, Matt, Butch, whatever. But yeah, so Dina comes up with the plan. She tells Heidi and Heidi's like, oh, hell no. And goes and tells Jenna, Jenna tells Alex, and all of a sudden now there's this big coup behind the scenes where Dina wants Alex out, and they all want Dina out. And all of a sudden, Rob, his whole alliance is kind of crumbling around him. Yeah, really interesting, though, how Rob, we, we've talked about it so many times, how Rob sets himself up in the middle. And this time, he's sort of setting himself in the middle of this power struggle, but not just him, but he's now gotten Butch and Matt. Of course. And again, it's not. I'm sure that's not a plan he, at any point, he expected would actually work out for him. But it's like, hey, well, now I got these guys. Might as well do something with them. All right, so uh, what do we got here? This is where Heidi gets bitten by the spider, right? Yes, and it swells up to the size of one of her breasts. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. And again, we have to point out this is where Heidi correctly, she here's a great quote where she feels so retarded right now. So once again, the, the uh, master of the English language weaving her word smithery. Great teacher. <laughs> I'm going to take off my clothes and I feel retarded. <laughs> Good. Look, I have to say, when she saw that, you know, there was swelling on her knee, she knew instantly. That she got bit. She was bitten she by was, something. That she was bitten by something. She knew instantly. And you could tell she felt retarded because that's when she screamed, Timmy! <laughs> South Park reference. Nice. That's right. That's what we're doing. All right. So this is where this is the episode. It actually started the episode before where Dina was starting to get super cocky. The game is mine. This is mine. I know I have control of everything. And this is the episode she's getting even more cocky, and she's about to actually get a worse downfall than even Roger. It's about to come real swift, but she says, uh, there's a great quote where she says, Alex must go. He's gone. Period. End of statement. And that's a, a classic Dina quote. It is very Dina-like, isn't it? I mean, she yes. did have that kind of, you know, brush you off at the end. Yep. We're done. Yep. I said it. This is how it's going to go. Done. All right, and now we get to the immunity challenge. This is maybe my favorite immunity challenge of the season, the gross bug-eating challenge. Yes, which it's is, great. If you've ever wanted a challenge tailored for a, per, a person perfectly, I think eating gross things and Matt would probably <laughs> be very high at the top of your list. And this is where Heidi gets carried into the challenge because she can't walk. And this is the one where, yeah, Matt just destroys everybody. Nobody has a chance. And they get to the final two where it's Matt against Dina, and they pull out that giant pincher bug. And Dina's like, oh, that is just nasty ass. And nasty ass. That's yeah. nasty ass. <laughs> nasty ass. Yeah, you got to do, do, like, the hand gesture, too. Like, oh, exactly. that's nasty ass. And what's great is that Dina knows she can't beat Matt. I remember when, oh, before the challenge, Matt picks it up, and he's like, look at all the little pincher. He's, like, basically orgasming over how cool this, this bug is and all his defense systems. And Jeff's like, put it down, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> put it down. <laughs> Stop it. Stop tampering yeah. with the challenge. Yeah, so then it's the final round, and Matt throws it in his throat and doesn't even chew it. He just swallows it. And Dina, she basically throws the challenge because she knows she's not going to be, you know, King Psycho and eating something gross. <laughs> she, like, 
Jesse point, like Edgy points away. to Matt. <laughs> just watch him. Watch Matt. And Matt just swallows the whole thing. And they're like, you didn't even chew that? It's got like spikes on it and pinchers. <laughs> and Matt's like, or yeah, it's like, oh, no, it's just uh, I'm going to let my digestive juices battle it out. And Rob's like, this guy's crazy. And they all bow down to him. Yeah. And We were just watching that like 10 minutes before we recorded the podcast. I was watching that episode, that challenge with my kids. And my kids loved it. They thought that was so funny. They're like, this guy's crazy. And my just son just started cracking up when Rob said that. That's just a great moment. And in the uh, the legend of Matthew von Ertfeld, it grows even stronger in this episode. Does your son does your son now consider Matt to be his survivor hero? Has he moved on from the general? <laughs> it's very close. It's between Gene and Matt now. Yes. <laughs> Fucking Gene. <laughs> she always she's like a damn cockroach. She can't get rid of her. Butt crack showing every damn, damn day. day. God, sit <laughs> Gandhi on that bitch. I thought we've, we we were gonna vote the strongest person out of this whole tribe right at the beginning. Smart, <laughs> smart. <laughs> so then, of course, Dina loses the uh, immunity challenge. She gets even more cocky, which is just voting not well for her uh, downfall. Where she says, "Alex made a big mistake in the immunity challenge. His mistake was he didn't win immunity." <laughs> so she's completely convinced that Alex is getting voted out and. Here we go. This is where we go to tribal council, and then Heidi gives the great quote. I know Paul knows this one. Heidi's famous quote to probes at tribal council. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, she <laughs> Heidi gives us a, a good here talking about how the you know the two things that she has to give to 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 this game are athletic ability and she mentals. How does she phrase that? Uh, my athletic ability and my intellect. Intellect, and, and one of those is gone yeah. right now. And Jeff Probes famously says, "Which one?" Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I wish, wish Rob C. would have piped up, oh, she's got two amazing things to give to this game, Jeff, and they're on her chest. Yeah. They must have cut that one out. God, Mario, seriously, you need to lay off. <laughs> All right, and so Dina gets blindsided, and Jenna with the, again, our, our hero, our underdog, sweetheart hero of the season, voting out Dina. You screwed me, now screw you. Yeah, they cut out the fat, the the you fat pig fat part again. You fat pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but quite a quite a power shift for the game, and um, you know it wasn't that often in Survivor that you got huge blindsides like that. And what makes this cr- even crazier is that we're about to get a couple more big blindsides that are going to follow. You know, um, after these episodes, so uh, the fun is just beginning on Survivor the Amazon. <laughs> One of, uh, I got to tell a story. I, I mentioned earlier in, in the in part one about how Rob loved to change his handwriting on his votes so nobody could tell who he voted for, how he'd try to make it girly or try to make it big blocks like Colby. And he said that usually worked because, like, people couldn't figure out what was going on. But, like, with Dina, when he voted out Dina, he changed his handwriting. But, like, she caught him because she immediately knew that it was him. And so I remember he told me this story once that, like, yeah, I changed my handwriting and Dina saw it and she looks at me. She's like, it was like a fuck you look. <laughs> so Rob's like, yeah, it didn't work with Dina. She immediately knew that I voted for her and she was pissed. So I just always remember that story. Paul brings up a great point, though, because, you know, we have had some power shifts now in the game, uh, in, 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 in the show, in Marquesas, of course, you know, the fall of John. But, you know, that was like a one big power shift, right? And then after John goes, then we had, you know, kind of the rest of the row two, four follow him, you know, all the way down to the final five and, you know, a little bit of controversy there. And then in Thailand, you know, we had, you know, kind of Chewy Gun just kind of overpowering and kind of, you know, 
paganging all the way to kind of the end and stuff like that. And so we, we haven't had this. But now, you know, we had a big power shift where, you know, there was the men and they voted out Roger and then they voted out Dave. And now we vote out Dina. It's just kind of this 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 kind of second swerve in the road. And it's not even our last one, but it's just kind of, you know, showing that, you know, the game can always change if you've got people willing to change it like Rob. Yep. Yeah. People ask me, this is, I know why people listen to the historians podcast, but like, what was the reaction to Amazon at the time? Like, was Rob a villain? Was Jenna a villain? Was like, what was, what was the response? And what I remember about Amazon at the time is that, all right, we just had, you know, Marquesas with the most amazing power shift in survivor history up to this point. Is this like the third power shift in Amazon already or the second? I forget exactly where we are, but it was just crazy at the time. This is like, wow, this is Marquesas on steroids at this point. Because again, we stuff like this just didn't happen on Survivor. Like you had Marquesas with the one power shift, and that was defining of the entire season. Oh wow, a shift. And now on Amazon, it's just people are bouncing back and forth. Like Dina and Alex were in the big or Dina and Rob were the big power brokers of Amazon, and all of a sudden Dina got voted out just because of one comment she made. So I mean that that was the response to Amazon at the time. Wow, this season is crazy. And people just remember thinking it was a funny season because of all the Matt stuff and Rob being funny. I remember people thinking it was just crazy with the power shifts. I remember people just absolutely hating Heidi and Jenna, mostly Heidi, of course, but Jenna just by association. But that was kind of the response to uh, Amazon at the time, in particular with this Dina episode. Stuff is just getting out of control now. It's going to be flipping all over the place. So that was kind of the the feeling of uh, most of the online message boards and Survivor World at the time to what was going on in, in Amazon. Well, it became this weird golden age in Survivor where, you know, at the beginning and in, in, in the most early seasons, it's not really, you know, I wonder who's going to go home tonight. You have a pretty good idea who's going to go home. It's not like we knew who was going to go home every single episode, but you had a decent idea. And so it was not really like a, a big like, oh, God, I, I'm, I'm tuning into Survivor to see who's going to go home. You tune into Survivor to see the characters, to see, you know, them surviving the game, the, the, the cool, you know, character building scenes and stuff like that. But Amazon and I think later on in, in Pearl Islands and stuff like that, like, once some weird shifts are happening, you know, you're like, I'm going to watch Survivor because it's going to be some great characters. I can't wait to watch Rob. Also, who the heck's going to go home tonight? And, you know, like you kind of then had that sort of, you know, sort of buzz. And now they try to, you know, leave you in suspense every night and they overdo it because it kind of comes at the expense of character building. But there was this good renaissance right here where, like, you were excited for the characters, for the camp life, and also for the slight uncertainty of who was going home. Yeah, and like I said, I used to do these weekly columns where I did the power rankings, who was most likely to win Survivor each week, who was most likely to get voted out. And it was very easy to do that through the first five seasons of Survivor. Most boots were not that hard to predict. It just called, Survivor always followed kind of a straightforward pattern. But with Amazon, that was the first season where I just like, I, look, I fucking give up. I have no clue who's getting voted out this next week. I'm like, it could be Christy, it could be Heidi. I, I would have sworn that Heidi and Jenna were going to turn on each other at some point just because... I know females, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I basically just gave up. I'm like, look, I didn't see Dina coming this week. I have no idea what's going on next week. Let's just tune in and enjoy it because there's this is some crazy stuff going on in Survivor. So it was a really neat period in Survivor history where stuff was going on that had never really happened before. And I have to point out again to follow up on my first point, was Rob Sesternino a hero or a villain? He was never a villain. I mean, if anything, you might have thought he was annoying or kind of smarmy or cocky, but he was never a villain like some of the other great villains in Survivor history. In fact, the only time I would really say some people thought he was a villain would be coming up in a couple episodes, especially after the Christie episode. 
just because of you know Christy being beloved fan favorite and, and Rob seen as the guy who broke her heart and ripped her her spirit apart. But uh, yeah, he was never really a villain. He was a a lovable scoundrel, if anything else. Well, he can't really be a villain. He got rid of the fat pig, so. <laughs> Just kidding. I actually really do love Dina, but. Paul hates Dina. No, <laughs> there's there's only one woman on the Jabiru tribe that gets my true hate. That's fine. We don't need to hear anymore. We're perfectly fine with that. So I think we are going to stop here with the Dean episode, and we'll finish what with the last four episodes in part three. And then we'll just gushingly talk about Rob for an hour at the end of that one. Yeah, how amazing much. he yeah, pretty much. Uh, let's see. Uh, anything we missed on those episodes? Anything you guys wanted to add? No, like I said, I think, um, I mean, we had the, the fun episode of Roger to talk about, and we had this very important, you know, stuff about Dita to talk about. But as a whole, this stretch of episodes isn't really what's, what the Amazon is about. The, the Amazon starts off being Battle of the Sexes, which we hit hard in the first four episodes, and then the end of Amazon is going to be all this crazy strategy stuff that happens that starts with this episode. So, I mean, if you had to cut the, the season into thirds, this is probably, you know, the section that's doing a lot of setup, but there isn't as much of the actual, you know, the, the good stuff happening quite yet. We're getting a lot of setup. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, it started out as Battle of the Sexes. And I think Jay had on it earlier is what the season kind of turned into later with is the quote that Dina says where you can see where the players are playing and where the players are not playing. And that's really kind of the the theme, what I would say of Amazon. There was about five people really playing and there's about two not playing particularly well. They're trying to play, but they're so clueless that they didn't really help. But that's really what it comes down to. Who's playing and who's not playing. And even though it looks like Rob and Dina are the only ones playing, that's not how it's going to end up in the end. I'm pretty satisfied. I'm I'm enjoying the season so far. I'm enjoying talking about it, but uh, I think you guys have said it right. You know, we we had we had the beginning, and then this middle part is really just kind of all the you know Rob playing chess and really kind of setting all his pieces around on this board. And now we're going to start capturing people. You know, now things you know chips are going to fall and pieces are going to move, and it's going to be great. And also, we're going to have you know epic butch firewood fun. So I'm I'm excited for the future. Excellent. Uh, I think we should probably just about sign off then. Uh, although, I've got to stick up for Jean one more time. You know, Jean, you took a big, I know she's a big listener. She's a, she writes in every week. So, you know, we have fun with Jean here, right? You mean a big listener <laughs> meaning she's a bigger girl? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I just want to say, Jean, you know, I keep you on my favorite players list. And I don't keep you there because, you know, out of pity, I keep you there because of ability. So I just want you to let you know. You don't have a handicap, Gene. You know, it's one of the defining moments, the smile on your face when you heard that I was still a fan of yours. So just letting you know, you do not have a handicap. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I guess that's just about it. We really have nothing left to add. We, we have a bunch of reader questions, but we usually save those for part three. Um, unless that's about it. Anything more from you guys? Nope. I'm... Uh... Another another uh, section down. We're gonna get through these things. Might take a decade, but uh, we're uh, creeping there. <laughs> All right. Uh, for the Survivor historians, I'm Mario Lanza. Rest in peace, Gene. This is Paul. And uh, this is Jay Fisher. It was fun talking with you, Jamokes. And as the Nepalese saying goes, "K Garnet, Garnet, Bangarang, Booyah, See ya." Uh, Matthew is uh, concentrating so hard on this.
I promise I won't uh, harm anyone. I'm a pacifist, guys. Blood scares me, too. I don't like the sight of blood. I mean, human blood, my own blood, blah. Ma is creepy. She's creepy. She's creepy. All right, once again, she is sharpening his machete. I know. He sits and sharpens his machete for an hour at a time. Why does he need the machete so sharp? I think he's going to kill us. I'm afraid that when he is voted off, that he may take out the machete and then kill us after the vote. There's a couple of reasons why it might be a good move to vote for Matthew. One, he is a physical threat. And two, he's kind of losing it out here. I don't know. Everyone's feeling it. It's just kind of a weird vibe coming from Matt these days. And nobody's all that comfortable around him. 